Hello, this is Dylan. I just want to make a small apology before this podcast begins. Uh, my mic had a problem, and it, instead of recording through my microphone, it recorded through my computer. So my audio won't sound very good, but I hope you're able to enjoy it nonetheless. Um, also, after the credits of the show, there is a quick Dick Johnson is Dead spoiler discussion if you want to continue listening for that. Thank you and hope you enjoy. And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Play it once, Sam, for all time's sake. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. Hilda, I'm no good at being noble, but it doesn't take much to see that the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Someday you'll understand that. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. We'll always have Paris. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Round up the usual suspects. Now, now. He's looking at you, kid. Hello and welcome to The Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show, the podcast where we watch and discuss each of the films covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Jana Gardner. I'm Nick Fulton. And I'm Dylan Clare. This week, we are discussing a movie that you might have heard from or heard of, uh, <laughs> Casablanca, um, directed by Michael Kuritz, starring Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman and uh, a murderer's row of character actors. I'm sure we will get into all of our favorite performances in this film. I have um, my own preferences. But yeah, it's Casablanca, guys. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> the cast in this movie is absolutely insane i mean it's wild like, right like it's actually yeah. it is actually claude rains conrad veet peter Lorre, to dooley wilson like you don't yeah. get better than this yeah it's really it's really uh it's really something so casablanca is well let's get into it so for once this is a movie that i'm coming into <laughs> with some background um this is not my first time seeing casablanca uh and i know that's the case for you guys as well dylan what's your background with this movie when did you first see it i don't even know like this is a movie <laughs> that i probably saw as a kid at some point and mm -hmm. I've, just, I've just seen it a lot a lot a lot probably a i guess probably the first time i saw it was in like fourth grade maybe because I wanted to get into filmmaking when I was in third grade. Mm. I feel like this was probably one of the first films that I saw that was like a classic film. That makes After sense. That because... Yeah, I feel like when you when you make a decision that you want to watch good movies or like important movies, this is probably pretty high on the list of things you do. Yeah, and also like it's rated G. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not, I mean, Citizen Kane I think is G or PG, but like that's a much more heavy movie and... Mm -hmm. I, like I don't, I don't think I watched that until maybe sixth grade, um, but yeah, th this is just one of the most 
accessible classic movies I could ever picture, and it's so freaking good. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. I think it's for, yeah, I, I, for the podcast. Thumbs up. Um, <laughs> yeah. As I say, unless Nick's working on a real hot take, but uh, what oh, about on this ter- on this terrible movie. Yeah, exactly. This disaster. <laughs> this of a this film. over this overrated piece of trash. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. uh, well, to be fair, that's what a lot of people I saw on Letterboxd were saying. Oh my god, that's hot hot takey nonsense. Like if if this movie was seen like in a vacuum and they didn't have any context nobody would be like oh this movie's bad come on mm-hmm. um i don't i don't trust anyone <laughs> who gives that opinion uh no this movie's excellent i i don't remember when i saw it for the first time like ages ago two decades ago probably i've seen it tons of times since then um it's a it's an all-timer yeah yeah i actually saw it pretty late considering i probably saw it for the first time about 10 years ago maybe um Matt, my now husband, had it on DVD and found out I'd never seen it. So we said we had to watch it. Um, And then, yeah, I've probably seen it a dozen or more times in the past 10 years (laughs) since. Um, I saw it um, at one of the outdoor Senespia film screenings a few years ago, which those are always interesting. Um, They're typically more fun for sort of like upbeat, funny, modern type movies, either action or comedy. Um, With classic movies, it can always be kind of tough because you're outside and it's like a big crowd and it's late and you've been outside for hours. Um, And Mm. so like I saw, I'm trying to think of, I saw Goldfinger there once and just totally fell asleep. Uh, That movie's pretty boring. (laughs) Um, But I will say Casablanca played like gangbusters, like cheering and clapping and people jumping up and like, yeah, it was it was very cool to see it like in this old Hollywood uh, cemetery with you know on the big screen and everybody freaking out. So it's a it it holds up. It still plays, I think, like gangbusters um, with a crowd. So yeah, um, I guess I watch it all the time. one thing that I think is interesting, you mentioned, Nick, that, you know, people who say they don't like this or it's a bad movie, they're probably just coming at it from a ugh, overrated contrarian take. It was interesting when I was reading a little bit about the production of this film that, you know, when they were making it, everyone just thought they were making a very standard, you know, mm-hmm. movie that was nothing special. <laughs> I guess no one, well, a few people, um, most people don't go into making a movie like this is going to be one of the best movies of all time. But it is funny to think that it was just like, ah, another Humphrey Bogart movie. Okay, he makes a lot of these. It's a studio picture. Like, it's got a good cast, but it's not going to be anything special. Um, mm-hmm. And so then it wildly overperformed expectations, <laughs> which uh, I think to say the least. So I say in terms of our overall opinions, positive. That's not really going to be a spoiler for <laughs> Yeah. the podcast what? itself um but yeah i guess you know we can just jump right into it um it has one of the best openings and opening credits you know the mood setting for this film is so good um it's always interesting watching these world war ii era films that mm. are such a product of their time um but i I love it. I just love the opening with the map and the globe, and it just really puts you in the mindset from minute one. And then the think? needle drop on the Marseillais. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like, yes! The song is such a banger. Like, <laughs> it really is. Realized, it slaps. God, every, every once in a while you hear another country's national anthem, and you're just reminded that the Star Spangled Banner is a really terrible song. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Banner, but it's. I mean, I'm not sorry. I was just, I'm not sorry. That song sucks. <laughs> yeah, don't apologize to it. Nobody's like jamming out to the Star Spangled Banner in their car. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I would 100 percent 
jam out to Le Marcier in my mm-hmm. car. I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it is uh, very memorable and emotional for a reason. Um, yeah, I wish. I wish a we had reason. That for a reason. I wish we had an anthem like that, though, that is was such an actual, like, nice, pleasant song to listen to and that you can actually, uh, you know, feel feel good about singing in a big group, whereas, ugh, Star Spangled Banner. Anyway, yeah, it really, it really puts you. There was a flag there. Sure was. Um, but, yeah, it really puts you in a good mindset. And then, basically, you just get this introduction where, you know, you don't start with, you know, life in the cafe or anything, but you get started with, okay, well, the Germans are coming to town. There's some crimes happening. There's some murder happening. There's some, you know, shady business. And so we are introduced to um, my favorite character, MVP of the movie, um, yes. our police captain, uh, by, oh. played by Claude. I was going to say, who, who were you going to say? I, was, Peter I thought you were going to go straight in with Peter Laurie with Ugarte. Sure. Ah, oh, Peter Laurie. I mean, it's hard to pick. Peter Laurie. Have, have you seen M? I have not seen M. Uh, M it rules. Is, it is wild that he went from like M to Casablanca in the span of like 10 years. Yeah. He's so, so insane. He's like a terrifying murderer in M, right? A child murderer. Child murderer. Okay. Yeah, not, just a, and, not just a regular adult murderer. A terrifying murder. child murderer is like just a baseline description of how deep that character is also. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of images from it, and he sure does look creepy. Um, but I have not actually so seen good. it. Yeah. No, this this whole cast is really, like I said, really standout. And yeah, Ugarte, his... I always, every time I sit down to watch it, I think, oh yeah, Peter Laurie's so good. I forget that he's in relatively little of it. Yeah, he's in uh, it for like two minutes. Yeah, he, he makes a huge impression, and then uh, is Rick. shuffled. Yeah, God. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's so good, um, but yeah. So we we are um, introduced to sort of the crime, and then so his deal he he's the one that's selling the papers. I can't remember what his crime is. I know he shot some dudes, and that's what's going to get him shot. But yeah, he he killed uh, two German two German officers, whatever. Or... Yeah, whatever guys who have these papers that are like basically foolproof get out of the country mm-hmm. if you have them so a bit of a deus ex machina paper yeah yeah i mean it is kind of the the uh what you might call it um what's the macguffin of this the movie MacGuffin, are the transit yeah. papers yeah. yeah um it almost feels like a, a level unlock in a video game that like you can like get this power and then you'll beat the game yeah um, so I'm just realizing both Peter Laurie as Senor Ugarte and then Sydney Greenstreet as Senor Ferrari, which is an amazing name. Mm-hmm. There's supposed yes. to just be a pair of Italian dudes, I guess, hanging out <laughs> in Casablanca, which is maybe not the most convincing, uh, <laughs> convincing uh, representation. Accent but work, it, yeah. God. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, they're, they're doing a lot up front to set the time and place like i said of casablanca as it's this international melting pot it's a place where people have come during the war and it's relatively safe there i mean you're safe as far as the front from the war but of course again there is crime and all kinds of other shady business Nazis. going on it yeah, feels so... sort of like a purgatorial type place it, yeah. yes it yeah, reminded absolutely. me of of the way um Bruges is depicted in the movie in Bruges how it's just yes. kind of like this place oh, where such a good call nobody really wants to be there like everyone in Casablanca is trying to get out 
Mm-hmm. But like they they went there on purpose to get away from a place that's worse. But right. exactly the goal is to get somewhere that's much better. Because like you said, it is full <laughs> of crime. We see people like right. it's just like rife with you know government uh, murders in the streets. Oh and yeah. If you're trying to have lunch, you're getting pickpocketed. And... Yeah, the very opening thing is <laughs> just say, three I... random people that don't come back. I know. Actually, I for... think the pickpocket comes back briefly, but yes, but yeah, I forgot that we. It starts with just some uh, pretty impressive pickpocketing going early. And it starts on a narration, which I always forget. Yes, <laughs> I I do too. Um, yeah, yeah, but it, uh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's useful to sort of tell you about what Casablanca is and how it works. Um, and I'm sure the first time I saw it was like, oh, okay, good. I, I now understand this. Um, but yeah, it does. It really opens up. I like the shots of the market. Like you were saying, it just sort of shows, yeah, there's just crime happening in the street. And as far as I know, this whole thing was shot on like a studio lot, I'm presuming. I mean, they obviously mm-hmm. were not doing a ton of international traveling during World War II to make any of this. Um, but I like, I like the look Especially of the market. West Africa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you kind of just see like the one section of it, um, but it does give you a really good sense of place. Um, but our first sort of main plot, you know, plot driver that then comes up is that the Nazis arrive. Um, Major Strasser, I believe, um, shows up because of the killing of these German officers by uh, Ugarte. And then that's where my buddy Captain Renault shows up and basically tells him, well, I'll take you to Rick's because... Whoever, you know, the guy who did this will be at Rick's because everybody's at Rick's. And that is uh, when we get our introduction to Rick's Cafe American and Humphrey Bogart and his fancy nightclub, casino, bar hangout. Got to be one of sort of the best main locations in film, right? Like best settings in just in terms of vibe and, you know, a one-stop shop. This... Was Casablanca was based on a play, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, not one that was ever maybe even produced, but I know it was yeah written as a play. And I feel like all the scenes at the cafe is where that becomes quite evident when you sort of think about the static locations. Yeah, and I think Curtis does a good job of like the way he introduces um, the cafe itself is they do make it more cinematic than a play where it's like Mm -hmm. a a sweeping crane shot that actually goes in and kind of wanders around and you zoom in on Sam so you know that he's going to be a -hmm. player um, as opposed to just like here's a a wide shot of the cafe and then cut to here's people Mm -hmm. inside. They they make it, he adds a little bit of visual flair to it. Yeah. And make sure we go room to room as well instead Mm -hmm. of just room, set piece, room, set piece. Right. It does It does that thing that I, I really do love in movies where it establishes the geography. It lets the characters <laughs> move through. And so you can get a sense of the space that they're dealing with. Like I said, it doesn't just cut, cut, cut. You actually sort of follow them around, um, which you know, becomes important once people later on are trying to, you know, hide or flee <laughs> or otherwise <laughs> get up to shenanigans uh, inside the bar. Um, and so this is where Ugarte shows up and passes off the papers to Rick. And we get our first sense of Rick as this character who, you know, he just doesn't want to be involved, right? He's inv- I mean, he's involved with everything, but he just, you know, he doesn't take sides. He doesn't care about anything or anyone. He knows that, uh, that Ugarte definitely murdered some dudes <laughs> to get these papers, <laughs> but he's not going to ask any questions. And I feel like... They were Nazis. Uh, exactly. 
Um, but I feel it's an interesting, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but sort of an interesting tactic for this to be our main character where his arc is so clearly, you know, just doesn't care about anything or anyone. Um, <laughs> which, you know, I feel like Bogart does a very good job of conveying that attitude while still making you invested in him. Like, I think he does a good job conveying that the character wants to be like, uh, uh, what's the word? Like isolationist? Yeah. Um, or that, that it's just sort of this is apathetic, right? Mm. Self interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and but he's the character is also so inherently like good desires to help others and mm-hmm. make the world a better place. Like he doesn't even question these papers that could get his entire place shut down and him murdered. He just right. accepts them and is like, "Yeah, people need to get out of the country." Yeah. I ain't gonna risk my life for nobody. Yeah, I, at the I same stick, time, yeah. like <laughs> See, he says, "I stick my neck out for nobody," while kind of doing it because he doesn't, yeah, take well, the papers. He doesn't tell papers. Ugarte to get out. Like <laughs> he 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 doesn't want to do it, but like right. his character inherently seems so good that he kind of has to do it, and that that's so interesting because Bogart either seems to always play like the tough, gruff, mm-hmm. like no nonsense i stick my neck out for nobody like in the mm-hmm. big heat or it's some very like heroic and you know personable person and this one is like sort of a half and half where one is what he wants and what one is what he is mm-hmm. um i just think what curtis does with the camera with rick as an introduction is just incredible the first shot of rick is just like oh this guy's the man oh yeah and <laughs> Oh, yeah, like, the way he shoots him is, yeah, it, it, it's a lot of hero shots, which is kind of interesting mm-hmm. for this character. And also when uh, he hides the letters in Sam's uh, piano, yeah. mm-hmm. like, he has, like, this big, long, sweeping shot as he's, like, walking through the casino mm-hmm. and, like, surveying, basically, his empire of, like, this mixing pot. Like, there, the spotlight's going, like, from the crowd singing and to sam singing because mm-hmm. like it's a it's a sing and response song mm-hmm. and as soon as like the the spotlight goes off of him and sam you like immediately quickly like slips it into the piano mm-hmm. it's like this is what he does when people aren't looking this is right but when people are looking he's all i can stick my neck out for nobody right well and it also makes it easier you know you just you can say that and then gives yourself some plausible deniability <laughs> when you're yes. actually mm-hmm. doing things yeah I have to say that I feel like the piano is such an obvious spot. Like when they, we're, <laughs> we're jumping way ahead, but it seems like they really should have thought to to check the piano for documents. Right. Like it, if you've been at a piano before, you know that it opens up. The bench probably opens up too. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. those would be two very, it would have been two of the first places I would have checked besides like the drawers. Right, exactly. It's yeah, this big bulky thing with compartments that nobody mm-hmm. bothered to go digging around in yeah uh, yeah come on well i guess you can just count on the incompetence of the incompetent nazis, nazis. Yeah, that's exactly fine. the best kind uh without being you know humorously incompetent um also at this for, well yeah also yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was my slide uh jojo rabbit dig yeah uh, <laughs> sorry jojo rabbit um also <laughs> Um, at the bar is this is when we find out that Victor Laszlo is coming 
uh, he gets tipped off by Renault that uh, Laszlo is going to be there and he is this like great hero of the resistance basically he has uh, I believe he's a Czech nationalist and has been um, just running around he's a real sort of important symbolic leader and actual leader of resistance against the Nazis and so the fact that he's coming is you know when the Nazis have just showed up as well really keys up our our main uh the rest of the plot for the movie so I, I mean I'm trying to think of what else I wanted to mention here um you know again there's some hinting I can't remember if they say flat out or if it's just sort of implied but like we learned that Rick was involved at this point in fighting the Nazis or at least anti-fascism prior to coming yeah. to Casablanca. So this is really when we start getting our hints of, you know, it's not that he doesn't care, it's that he, you know, has cared before and look where it mm. got him and, you know, yeah. your sort of standard sulky guy stuff. Um, and he does try to... Sad boy. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a, a sad, sad boy, boy here. <laughs> he does try to blow it off like, oh, I was just being a mercenary. Right. And I, I really like the way they do exposition in this movie because mm-hmm. you um, you get the... Seriously. Captain Renault giving the backstory of Rick and it's in a way where a lot of times it'd be like well you're you did this and a lot of times in movies when people talk like that it's Mm -hmm. it seems so phony but in this one he's doing it in a way that's like bragging like look at how smart I am I know all this stuff about you right also like Strasser does the same yeah yeah but like all the dialogue in the first 30 minutes is basically one-liner jokes after mm-hmm. one-liner jokes. Oh, it's yeah. really, it's shocking, like, how funny this movie is. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's very zippy in that way. Like you said, it doesn't get dragged down. Normally, exposition can really feel like it's a drag, or I totally agree. Nothing drives me crazier than someone telling something to another person that they already know. It's like two people having a conversation. No one in real life says, well, you did this. But the way they get away with it is because he's proving a point. He's, he's It's not just for our benefit, although it helps, but it's also to yeah make the point that, look, I know this stuff about you. And so they really do get away with some good exposition sort of dumps in that way because mm-hmm. everyone's trying to, you know, everyone has an angle. Everyone's trying to show, you know, who has the, the power in these various situations. So as we mentioned, we don't get to spend too much time with our buddy Ugarte, who um, (laughs) basically gets caught and um, appeals to Rick for help. And Rick's help for him will will only go so far. (laughs) He will hold the papers, but he will not uh, stop him from getting captured by Mm -hmm. the Nazis. Poor, poor Ugarte. Um, and we never see him again, right? He just he's just taken right. away, yeah. and then that's yeah. and then we hear he's murdered, right? And then yeah, we hear that you know they they took him out, and so right after that we get our introduction of Victor Laszlo, who shows up with his uh, paramour Ilsa. Just gotta say, uh, Victor Laszlo is like the coolest name in it's movie history. It's a very cool name. It's a, cool it's a very cool name. Um, <laughs> I was when I was trying to sort of go through my outline and I was like, okay, yeah, Victor Laszlo and he's this Czech guy. Um, one cool name. Two, they don't really have anyone get too precious about accents or um, <laughs> anything, which is fine. I, I mean, Paul Heinrich is G- German, Austrian. Um, yeah, he's Austrian, British, and American. But ah. 
Yeah, was, not not Chad. It says he was born in the city of Trieste, which was then a part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and oh, is Jesus. now Italy. So I don't Man, know. I, <laughs> I don't understand I'm not, geography. I'm not, I, was say, I don't understand geography at all. Um, I could not Let draw... alone changing geography. Say, yeah, exactly. Something that was once the Austro-Hungarian Empire and at one point was Austria but is now Italy? No, no, thank you. Um, but yes, we did confirm he is, uh, yes, a, at least part Austrian actor. But yeah, uh, Victor Laszlo shows up with Ilse Lund, uh, played by Ingrid Bergman, who, you know. Got, got to make a statement on Ingrid Bergman here, but she is like the most gorgeous freaking person I've ever she seen. She really is. And the the movie, speaking of how we were saying how the camera, how they shoot Bogart and he sort of gets these sort of heroic looks, the camera, the way it shoots her is just oh. all sort of, you know, well-lit, soft focus. Like, it's like dreamy. Every shot of her mm-hmm. looks like the camera. Well, that's what Ingrid is Bergman is, really. So. <laughs> I was going to say, that might just be her. That just might be her actual power. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it, it there was really no filter used. It was just like her her radiance. It really stood out to me this time that the camera ver- that gets very sort of soft focus, dreamy whenever she's at the center of the frame. There's... It also does with Laszlo quite a bit too. That's true. Yeah. One of the bonus features on the Blu-ray is um, ha- it features William Friedkin, and one of the things he says hmm. is. I've stood in front of the Mona Lisa for 45 minutes to an hour at a time, and I could look at Bergman's face much longer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That seriously. sounds about right. Yeah. she's. I'm, I don't know that I've seen another Ingrid Bergman movie. Oh, Am I wrong? You haven't seen Notorious? No, I haven't seen Do Notorious. We, is Notorious in this book? Are we getting to Notorious? I hope to God it is. That is the yes. best freaking movie. Well, um, yes. Yeah. In between Nosferatu and On the Waterfront. Ugh. That's a good one. <laughs> Nick and I are just talking about our differences of On the Waterfront this morning. It's a good movie. Oh, really? Yeah, it it's fine. I think I have it at a three to five on Letterboxd. Like, it's just, it wasn't anything special for me. But, I have not yeah, seen it. A lot it. of people really like it. Yeah, but I mean, oh, we'll get to Victoria's. it. Does. We'll get to it after, right after we uh, mm-hmm. get to more Bergman. Not yeah, notorious, yeah. Just sweep a four out of four on that one, seriously. But yeah, I don't, I don't think I've probably seen Ingrid Bergman in anything else, just in this eight million times. Um, the the but... shocking thing about Ingrid Bergman is just like how many different directors she was able to work with mm-hmm. over her career. Like she has Curtis, she has Hitchcock three times i think maybe twice she has Ing- ingmar bergman she has uh roberto rossellini, rossellini. like mm-hmm. just an insane amount of different directors oh she was in mortar on the Orient express which is a sydney oh, Lament movie like seen that. she she just had such an amazing career she's so yeah. good she could work with so many different types of directors and styles and genres i think i've also seen gaslight i forgot that she's Mm. Gaslight, which who, I... who directed Gaslight? Was that George anyone... George Cukor? Oh my God, that's a George yeah. Cukor movie. It's a George Cukor I, movie. I yeah. haven't seen Gaslight yet. That's something I really need to see. Yeah, I point. saw that in college, and then yeah, Murder on the Orient Express. Okay, so I've seen a couple of different uh, things she's in. She doesn't have a lot to do in Murder Murder on the Orient Express, yeah. though. She has no. she has much more to do in Gaslight. Oh than, yeah, I mean she's Absolutely. the lead in Gaslight. I was gonna say, Murder yeah, on the Orient Express. She's probably Gaslight. like eighth build. Yeah, she's actually huge, third yes. build. Well, yeah, it's because it's ignorant, <laughs> but you know, it's what I mean. right? Yeah, 
<laughs> it, it, a, it feels a, like a, a late same. stage Meryl Streep movie where she just comes and she's like, I'm fucking Meryl. Right. And then she <laughs> Yeah, and then just, yeah, sort of swans in. Yeah, you love yeah. that. Um, of course. Go for it. Yeah. Mm. So uh, we do get her sort of introduction to her character in one of the most famous and yet also misremembered scenes <laughs> in all movie <laughs> history, uh, where she does not ask Sam to play it again, but she does ask Sam to play a particular song as time goes by. Um, she has, you know, recognized him and he's recognized her. And, you know, this is definitely where we find out that uh, Bogart here is not the sort of <laughs> uncaring, unfeeling person that he may be wanting to let everyone on, let everyone believe. Um, yeah. And Sam plays as time goes by, even though Rick told him not to. And Rick's not happy about it. I get but, chills oh, thinking about it. It's so that. good. I know. I'm just, this and is like, my problem with this movie. I'm trying to describe what happens in it, and I'm just like playing it oh, in my head. Well. <laughs> I'm just kind of like watching the scene in my head going, You must remember this. A kiss is just a kiss. A sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. And when two lovers woo, they still say I love you. On that you can rely. No matter what the future brings, as time goes by. Sam, I thought I told you never to play. Yeah, that was cool when that happened. <laughs> Well, the best part is just when Rick like runs over to the piano. It's like Sam, I told you never to play that again, and right. like immediately sees Ilsa, and it just goes cut to Ilsa's face and cut yeah. to Rick's face yeah. reacting to see, and she's like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Mhm. Mm That's peak cinema. Yeah, it it really is, um, and it does so much storytelling in such a very effective, you know, brief moment where you yes. get, you know, it really it. I mean, they fill in the details later, but it pretty much tells you everything you need to know about these characters and their past. We don't even need the flashback at that point. We get it. Right. Ex exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Nothing else to say about it. It's good. As time goes by. Good song. Great um, song. Yeah. Yeah. I love Dooley Wilson's performance where other than, I think yes. we, we talked about this before, he doesn't fake playing piano very well. No. No, no, he does not. He does some of the funniest, like, yeah, I, I think I compared him to Keyboard Cat when I was watching it, because it's really just like a lot of this. Um, yeah, so that's not the high point, but I, I agree. His performance otherwise is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I love when Elsa comes up to him, and he's, he's, he's like such a cool customer about just like, hey, mm -hmm. like, right. hey, how's it going? And right. then, I miss Elsa. Hi, Elsa. Yeah, yeah. Him trying to lie about rick and just like not pulling it off at all no. is is great stuff yeah 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 um it is interesting i mean it also says a lot about ilsa to the and sam that he would play the song for her like you get the sense like i don't know he really likes her <laughs> like yeah. he could just be like no i can't what are you talking about rick's gonna get so mad at me um that's how he talks in the movie but that he likes ilsa and he wants to to do what she wants um and so, 
yeah, Rick gets mad. They stop. They see each other. Um, it's all very awkward. And um, Ilsa, after that happens, Ilsa and Laszlo leave. Um, and this is then when we get our flashback that's going to fill us in. Rick sits alone at the bar thinking about the song. And then we get sort of a pretty extended, yeah. like longer than I remembered flashback mm-hmm. into um, their well, We got to mention the best together. line in the movie real quick. <laughs> Which is? Of all the gin joints. Oh. And all the bars. Of all the gin joints. and I wrote down the actual quote, I think. Because, again, it's a little bit longer than the sort of... It's like, of all of all the gin joints in all the countries in all the world, she had to walk all into All the towns mine. in all or the world, All the I towns think. in all the world is what it is. She had to walk into mine. Yeah, so one of the things um, I made note of watching the movie this time is just how many insane quotes there are like this has to yeah, be seriously. it has to be maybe the most like quotable remembered quotable yeah. movie like Probably. off the top of my head i wrote down six quotes that i just like think of as being super famous and um that i re- hear referenced or that you jaws? hear reference is jaws up there jaws could be they are gonna need a bigger boat that's true so it's funny that six is the number that you mentioned because mm-hmm. so the AFI like we know the AFI to- has a top one hundred but they have a bunch of other lists. Too. They have so many, yeah. so many lists. <laughs> and Casablanca is on so many of them, um, mm-hmm. but they have a one hundred movie quotes. Casablanca has the most; it has six. Um, oh wow! So the, the highest one is number five, which is "Here's looking at you, kid." Uh, 20 is Louis. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. 28 is play at Sam plays time goes by 32 is round up the usual suspects. 43 is we'll always have Paris, which I think should be higher. Like, I Mm. think that's the line in the movie, right? Yeah. 67 is uh, of all the gin joints and all the towns and all the world. She walks into mine. So uh, they're all so good. I actually, um, so the, uh, the six I wrote down, five of them, five of them were the same. I, Mm. which one did I leave off? I left off. Um, Oh, I think it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship, which I just forgot about, um, because the other line I reference all the time is, "I am shocked, shocked to find gambling going <laughs> yes. on in this establishment." I only wrote down one quote, and that was it. <laughs> I like I just I, I use that all the time whenever sort of anything completely obvious is going on. I am shocked, shocked. <laughs> it's probably my favorite. So yeah, this movie is insanely quotable. Yeah. What's the another one? You, what's another the one that was on that list. Do you have it, by the uh, way? The AFI. Let me see. The other How one that was. How many does Jaws have? The other one that was nominated from this was uh, Ilsa. I'm no good at being noble, but it doesn't take much to see that the problems of three little oh, people don't amount don't to not to a hill of beans. Hill of beans, and, and that's that's a great line too. Yeah, I think that kind of like that's sums probably up the, best the movie. Line. Yeah, yes. Jaws exactly. has Jaws just has one. The, just, the bigger oh, boat, really? of course, line uh, tied at um, number two for like most uh, commonly showing up on the list is Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz. Both have oh. three. Oh my that god! Is, that is interesting, though. That so the top three movies on this list, two of them are from 1939, and one's from 1942. Like, we just stopped making quotable movies after. Yeah. Uh, okay. Talk to like. And then to Cronenberg or something at that point, right. or speak, Quentin yeah. Tarantino. And yeah. speaking of, and to answer your question, Janet, number okay. one is a movie we're getting to in a few, like a couple months, I think, is uh, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn from Gone uh, with the Wind. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like if they did this list again, which I know AFI redoes its list from time to time. Um, oh, it looks like this one's from 05. Yeah, they should do it it's again. It's kind of yeah, like the census. I think they do it like every 10 years or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, I feel like like I feel like Gone with the Wind would 
would not be number dropped one. Drop down. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that they would uh, <laughs> have that up there as number one anymore, which is would be a good call. It's not, it's not necessarily an American film. It's more of a Confederate film. Yeah. Well, it's there's the American film. Yeah. 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 Um, but on, um, on the rest of those lists, like mm-hmm. Gone with the Wind, or, or not Gone with the Wind, uh, Casablanca is number one on the 100 Passions list, number two of Best Movies, number four on Best Hero, number two on Best Song, number th- uh, 32 on 100 Cheers, which I don't know, I don't even know what that means, but 37 <laughs> on 100 Thrills. So it's pretty. Should uh, also be on the left. I was gonna say it popular. could be on the laughs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's 100 years, 100 laughs. Um, I I can only think of the fake name they call it on Blank Check, which is uh, AFI's Funny Times for Funny People. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> their their fake reference to the AFI 100 <laughs> list. Um, but yeah, I think it's probably 100 years, 100 laughs. Yeah, it could be on there. Um, but uh, of, I was say, speaking of the quotes um, here, I can't believe how many times he says, "Here's looking at you, kid," in this movie. I know. I think, so often. I think he said, I thought, I think I thought he must have just said it one time and it was like very emotional. And then he says it so many times. It's fully his catchphrase in this movie, yeah. we, well, which I it, think is it, funny. Something I wrote down um, when we go from the present to the past was as mm-hmm. Rick's being all like mopey with his drink and uh, like slamming the table and crying. Mm-hmm. I was like, sad boy Bogart is the best Bogart. Mm-hmm. And then we uh, flash back to Paris, mm-hmm. and he's all like joyful and mm-hmm. funny and happy. And I was like, "Nice Humphrey Bogart is the best Bogart." I was gonna say he can he can do it and all. He's got the range. Two more different blank Bogart is the best Bogart in this movie because he's such a dynamic character. From yeah, scene no, to scene and moment to moment. Absolutely is. Um, we get to see some truly magnificent rear projection driving. My favorite thing. Yes. When they're driving through the city, it's really it. I laughed out loud at it. It was so good. <laughs> and they got these like shit-eating grins. Like, they're so happy. And it's like just Paris landmarks just fully like they're like going it's through like the Arc de Triomphe and just like. The Eiffel Tower. And it's like yeah. just going in like a line behind them. It's just like they have like little like French postcards that they just are like projecting <laughs> behind them as they drive around Paris. Um but yeah, that does a good job, like you said, of really showing his range. He's so happy. They're so happy and carefree and everything's great. Um, and then they get the word that the Nazis are coming. So that's no good. Um, they have to get out of Paris. And Rick's like, it'll be fine. We'll take off. We'll be great. Um, and then, speaking of sad Bogart, he goes to the train station in the rain. And... Ilsa is not there. Instead, she left him a note that says she will never see him again. The ink runs off. Runs down. <laughs> yeah, it's like the note itself is crying, like all the yeah. the rainwater just it's like little uh, mascaras running down. Right. So it's again very efficient storytelling in this movie. Like it's it's kind of an extended flashback, but it you packs get so the much. whole right. It packs so much into it, um, and so yeah, I dig that part. What do you guys think if, like, what if the flashback was just lifted from the movie entirely? I mean, I do I like I think it would those. work. Yeah, I do yeah. still, yeah. like, I, I like seeing them happy, but I, I think it would work just as well if you lift it out and you just kind of, you know they were happy. I mean, right. I, I, look, look at how just, they're acting now. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. but I think seeing, like, how happy Bogart was at some point is important, but I, I do agree, it it does really kind of mix up the pacing of the movie. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. my... I, I think the scene... 
like I, if I were editing it, I don't think I would lift it entirely, but I think I would pare it down just a mm-hmm. bit. I think it yeah. does go on for kind of too long. Also, right. something I wrote down in the flashback sequences, I don't think Humphrey Bogart knows how to kiss. I'm not exactly a kissing expert, but like he like eats her mouth. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, he's kiss me if great... it's the last time, and it's like the worst kiss I've ever seen in movie history. It's like, he's not please a don't great... let that be the last kiss. It was the, it was yeah. the 40s. There was different times, different expectations. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> just... She says, kiss me like it's the last time. And then he gives her the worst kiss I've ever seen. It's so sad. Yeah. Maybe yeah, that's why not... he was left at the train station. Yeah, exactly. She was like, no, nah, no, thank you. Um, no, but I, I do agree. I, I said it's it's fun to see him playing these different notes. And I think the you know the scene of him alone at the train station in the rain is very effective. But yeah, it probably could have just been, well, it could be removed altogether. Or it could have just been like two minutes of like, they were happy. And then she disappeared on him um mm-hmm. i don't know that we actually need to see them find out the nazis are coming and then making a plan mm-hmm. to leave and then <laughs> it's right, sort of right. yeah goes goes through uh more details than we definitely need um when rick comes out of the flashback um ilsa comes back to talk to him she wants to explain and he is having none of it <laughs> he is drunk no. and he is mad and he uh will not will not hear her side of the story um but the next day, Ilsa and Laszlo, um, you know, go to, I think it's Renault's office. I can't remember. They go to meet with the mm-hmm. officials, basically. and Yeah, make, it's Renault's office. Right. Yeah. And make promises that. Um, and Conrad Veets there and mm-hmm. Ingrid is in the best freaking outfit I've ever seen. That's not yes. made by Edith Head. She wears some good. The, the costumes in this movie are really excellent. Like, I mean, that's everything in this movie I know, is really but... excellent. There's the the thing is there's Ilsa's striped look, and then there's Ilsa's Paisley, Paisley look, mm-hmm. and they're both so freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, she she looks fantastic. I also I wanted to shout out just Rick's like bar look, his like white jacket when he's at the bar. Yeah, his white is, suit is just it's so good. Yeah, it's iconic. Yeah, very good. Um, but so yeah, we find out. That, you know, now that Laszlo's here, the Nazis basically tell him, like, you're not going anywhere, you know, you can stay here, but we're not going to let you leave and continue to, I guess, stir up anti-Nazi sentiment. Um, And so they also go to the other bar, which is the Blue Parrot, I think, which is where we get some more Sidney Greenstreet (laughs) action, who he's, he doesn't have, like super tons to do in this movie but i always appreciate sydney greenstreet just being around and kind of shady yeah if if there was one thing i could cut out of the movie it would probably be the poop parrot stuff like yeah another bar right another dude <laughs> right another, another person trying to help them it's it, just like it does feel a little like yeah, duplicative because you have this other bar, you have this other guy who's kind of sounds like he does similar stuff to Rick. I or there's a scene earlier where like he wants to buy Rick's bar. Mm-hmm. I think he at one point. He, oh, I love that scene where he, I do he like offers he offers Sam more money and Sam's just like, <laughs> right? What are you, I don't have what time to spend the money I got. Like I'm I'm cool, man. We're in occupied West Africa, right? Like, yeah. What do you think? If you pay me more money, what am I gonna do with it exactly? So, yeah, they, um, but they're, they're going around, they're trying to find help. Um, they 
see Rick again. And then this is where Ilsa tells Rick that Laszlo is her husband and that he has been for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like she was married to Laszlo. He just was taken to, I believe, a concentration camp. And so she yeah. thought she was he was dead and she'd never see him again. And then he escaped. And yeah, he's sort of, she had to I, leave. Do they say he's escaped like multiple concentration yes. camps or mo- escaped from the Nazis multiple times? Yeah, then but... I think I think Strasser says that. I think like Strasser basically alludes to the fact that he keeps escaping the Nazis. Yeah, so she's under the impression that when she meets Rick, she's under the impression that he's dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so tough, tough times for her. Um, you know, and so she at least gets to explain to Rick what happened. Rick still not super sympathetic necessarily. Um, and now this plot element gets introduced where, you know, they can get one travel paper, but can they get two? Mm-hmm. Could one of them leave? Would both of them leave? And so there's a lot of sort of strategizing around that. Um, not to get, we'll talk about it more at the end, but one of the sort of famous stories about this movie is that it was like, like a weird number of really good movies was still being written while it was being filmed, which is, I just mm-hmm. find so fascinating that they were like running dialogue down to the set for like to change lines on individual <laughs> days. And that Ingrid Bergman did not know, like they did not know the ending of the movie. They didn't know who was going to end up with who or who was going to go where. And so that's one of the reasons why she can play her character is so conflicted because she literally did not she doesn't know. She not know where the movie's going. Right. Exactly. I kind of wish know. movies didn't do that. Like, oh, no, Bergman, it's... I feel like you should just trust her to be able to play the character. Right. And I don't, I don't think, think it was intentional. In this case, it wasn't intentional. Yeah. No, they it, just it wasn't decide. intentional, yeah. but like glorifying it as this. Right. Yeah. Like Ingrid Bergman's just acting out of her mind. Don't right. reduce it down to like, exactly. oh, is this actual actors? Yeah. I also just. So yeah. to that point, I'd, I'd seen and I can't remember if it was in the Ebert commentary or maybe is in his review, but there's conflicting uh, like reports on mm-hmm. how how late it was being rewritten because mm-hmm. I think they found like if you go back and see the order that the the dailies were shot in, mm-hmm. like she did know for like maybe not at the beginning, but many of yeah. the scenes like a, as mm-hmm. movies are are shot out of order. Right. Um, so some of that I think is possibly apocryphal, yeah. which does like. Mm-hmm. To your point, Dylan, like, she's a good actress. Maybe she was just acting. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah we don't have to make, make it some sort of, like, wacky circumstance. And I think if you've seen other Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman movies, it's just like, yeah, yeah. She, she doesn't need any excuse to be a better actress. She's already the yeah. freaking best. Yeah. I mean, a... she's definitely going back and forth in some mm-hmm. ways in uh, Notorious, too. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's some mm-hmm. similarities between these two movies. Um the, the one thing about Notorious is it gives her a lot more agency than this movie probably does. And that's sure. something Ebert brings up in this review. But I he also does. think Ebert also still reduces it down farther than he has any right to. Well. Which I'm going to try to find the quote where he mentions it. But from a modern Public perspective, the film reveals interesting assumptions in Ilsa Lund's role that is basically that of a lover and a helpmate to a great man. The movie's real question is, which man? should she be sleeping with yeah I, I circled that line too it's like roger no come on roger. i mean right she's no, also i mean she is like the helpmate but she is also like helping victor lasso smuggle information she is helping right assistance. like she's actively involved and it's not it's not just that he needs her to be great which is 
how Roger frames it and how the movie frames it a little bit, which it's like, no, yeah, like, I, you must be by I his side to support him. But I don't think it's like a wrong to sort of criticize mm-hmm. the sort yeah. of role she is, but to to boil her down to who she she be sleeping with right. is radically bad in my opinion. Yeah, because it, you know, where he spends so much time in the in Ebert's essay talking about you know, Rick's sacrifices and sort of the, you know, the sort of patriotic choice and doing the right thing. It's like, she's making, I mean, she is making the choice too. It's, they do yes. take away some of her agency a little bit, but like everything she's done, she, she is making these choices. And so, yeah. I, I All not three have to make sacrifices and choices. Ex- exactly. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Ro- Roger has, has that tendency. At least I don't, didn't notice him commenting on her, uh, <laughs> physical appearance too much at least in any way that was uh super inappropriate so that was yeah. that was better um the only thing i was going to add about sort of that story of the rewrites is i just also hate any time like the sort of glorifying of like chaos or like <laughs> isn't it like we talked we've talked about how i don't like when the whole point of a movie is how hard it was to make it's like yes, that's not, no run like just make a good movie like it's great that you were able to make a good movie despite the chaos but like you don't get extra credit because no. you were disorganized or didn't have your shit together yeah, clear, clear your jets in your too i was gonna say yeah that's also just my uh my anti-revenant bias coming out but yeah, that's not not my favorite. Um, but <laughs> cool so anyway, factoid, but yeah, ex- like, exactly. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then we get back to the next evening at Rick's bar, where all kinds of things happen uh, this yeah, the, night at the me, bar. This, this is, is like when the movie goes from like great to perfect. Right. Yeah. The entire sort of yeah, every, everything that happens when they go back to the bar is amazing. Um, I particularly like the whole little subplot we get with the young Bulgarian woman who mm-hmm. like yes. needs help. Like, I think that's such like an underrated great part of the movie. And it's obviously so yes. important for Rick's character, but ugh, I-, I love that whole part where she asks for Rick's help. And, you know, again, he, you know, oh, he doesn't stick his neck out for nobody, <laughs> but he will, you know, do all this stuff to help this woman and her husband and you know get get them money and get them out of there also i i don't think it took me probably until like i rewatched it again in like mm-hmm. late high school to realize like what renault was doing to this mm-hmm. poor woman and right like, oh no maybe he's not this like quirky dude that's kind of funny and it's like i mean he is that but he also is maybe blackmailing people into sleeping with him <laughs> in order yeah. to yeah. get favors like yeah, yeah there's, there's not some a darkness good. there yeah he's a he's fun, not the yeah. best guy i would say no because no. he also i mean like spoiler alert he he does sort of the right thing at the end and then helps rick out yes. but, but it takes like, till the last two minutes of the movie it, for him right, to not fully working with the nazis up until yeah the final two minutes <laughs> of the movie so and exploiting women for sex yeah no i didn't pick up on that the first couple times i watched it either and i was like not a child and but i was just <laughs> like okay sure and i'm like uh yeah that's that's a i, I feel like if this was character. written today like they could have still made renault be like sort of an anti-hero and right you know trying to figure out how to stay alive because he's a bit of a weasel but not right. like a true nazi but that oof, that's a wrench that's right. a wrench they threw in it was just, it, yeah the, the corruption you know is just so 
so rampant and everybody's morals are just falling by the wayside. Um, yeah. But it is, you know, yeah. But And so this whole sequence where Rick helps this young woman out, like, yeah, it's twofold. He's helping her out because it's a dangerous time and place and she needs help. Uh, but she also wants to, he wants to save her from that. Yeah, <laughs> like, from it's like, all. okay, I have to help you because if I don't help you, you'll go to him and then that's going to be no good for you. So. Yeah, and but, really he's not even helping her get out of the country because yeah. she has a way to get out of the country. She's really helping him, helping her um, not have to sleep with Renault. And part of right. it is because she frames it as like, if like you're a man, and mm-hmm. she she says that to Rick, and like if if basically am I doing the right thing if I like if I do this but never tell mm-hmm. him? Um, do you think it's okay? Yeah. So then mm-hmm. they go over to the the roulette table and he basically yeah, tells he tells this the guy like did you try whatever number 23 or what have you right i think it's 22 yeah do it again yeah so on a roulette table uh the single numbers pay 35 to one so say the guy puts what i assume is the minimum bet of one dollar mm-hmm. he wins 35 on that and rick tells him to leave it mm-hmm. so if he does that again that's uh one thousand two hundred and twenty five dollars if i'm if my uh that's a pretty good return thing is correct so that's if he's betting the minimum say he's betting right. like ten dollars and it's 12 yeah. he has he has like i mean he's obviously losing but he's still got a stack of a few some, chips there like yeah yeah so he, whatever it is he's increasing their whatever their bet is over mm-hmm. a thousand fold yeah mm-hmm. and if, if he's doing this twice that's almost exponentially increasing it at that point mm-hmm. yeah it's just the best. Do they show how how the cheating works? Like how? No, and that's okay. one of the best things. Right. There's it's no like, like little lever under the table that right. we have to cut to. It's just it's like, like Rick. You what kind of what kind of establishment are you running here, buddy? Where you already have something <laughs> so easily set up to just like manipulate the the results. I mean, it works out, but yeah, that, that always strikes me care. as funny. At that point, it almost just feels like fate. I mean, I know they're like. Right physically doing something to make yes, sure it lands on 22 yeah. for him but like mm-hmm. the fact that we don't have to see the mechanics of how it works it just it makes it feel even more magical than it already does just mm-hmm. the best right exactly and then like big win big cheer and then yeah. somehow five minutes later that cheer is blown out of the fucking water <laughs> it's true um the, the, so the only other thing that i want to mention here before we get to one of the greatest scenes in film um yes. is Rick, who's, you know, just did that nice thing, but he's still in a bit of a mood because Laszlo approaches him about buying the transit papers and Rick says that he will not be selling them to Laszlo. And when Laszlo asks why, uh, Rick says to ask your wife. It's like, okay. <laughs> like, come on, Rick. It's not it's not his most stellar moment in the movie, I would say. Yeah, there's no need for that, Rick. But there's there's really not because also it's like, okay, so you want her to go and now have to have this conversation about why he hates you and, and what you were getting up to while like, ugh, God, Rick. Yeah. Not, not his highest moment in the movie, but w- well acted. Well, well done by Bogart, but ugh. so anyway, then um, the German soldiers have gathered around speaking of national anthems and are just really bel- belting out the German national anthem. And they've taken um, and Sam's piano. They have, yes. Like they the have, assholes they are. Yeah, they have commandeered the piano, and they're they're gotten a big sing-along of the German national anthem. And now, do you know what that song is called, out of curiosity? Don't. And I'm guessing hmm. it's probably 
no longer the, the German national anthem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'd I'm, assume I'm like, so. I'm assuming it's like the Nazi national anthem. Changed that but, out. Yeah, I, I've never known what, you know, it gets no, pummeled in the knockout round. <laughs> I don't think I could recognize any national anthems besides American, French, and Canadian. British. Oh, and, Can- and Canadian. Yeah, so those four. Um, but, like, I don't know. And I watch the Olympics. Like, I, I hear them, but I don't know um, really any. Well, I also, I know what the Indian national anthem sounds like. But other than that, no, it's not, uh, I'm not familiar. So according to Wikipedia, yes, the song is called Die Wacht am Rhein, or The Watch on the Rhine. And it is okay. a German patriotic anthem. The song's origins are rooted in the historical French-German enmity. And it is particular, it was particularly popular in Germany during the Franco-Prussian War and the First World War. Hmm. So, okay. so not only is it just this German national anthem, it's specifically like a song, it's like an anti-French. Yeah. yeah, it's specifically an anti-French <laughs> song. Okay. So Laszlo demonstrating, I suppose, what makes him such an effective uh, resistance leader decides that the way to fight back. Oh, we haven't even mentioned, there's also a band at the bar um, yeah. with a really awesome singer, guitar player, uh, woman. Yeah, and she seems Spanish maybe? I I believe the actress is Mexican, um, mm, okay, but that makes presumably, sense. I mean, the the character who's there is much more likely that she's probably supposed to be Spanish, although I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so she's it's been around and had been singing, exactly, and had been singing in this band and everything. And so Laszlo goes to the band and orders them, uh, well, insists that they play La Marseille, yeah, the French national anthem, and he gets a real sing-along going, and it is very good. Tears. I see it again. I'm just picturing it. Um, the hard thing for me in this movie, too, is like I'm just reciting fun facts that everyone's heard a million times. But one of the reasons allegedly everyone is so worked up in the movie is that lots of people in the cast were themselves, you know, refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was, it was a true sense of um, emotion and, you know, anti Nazi fervor that, uh, yeah, and that everyone's so worked uh- up. According to Ebert and the audio commentary, a, a bunch of the extras were like act, actually crying right. while filming this scene. I, I don't know how you could. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Like even if you weren't, just just being there for that. Yeah. Uh, the, the fact that they're fighting this war as the movie's being made and they don't know that like they're going to yeah. win or lose or ever have mm-hmm. France be France again. That is actually crazy. It, 
like I I cry knowing yeah. they won and that right. they were okay and well that right. general the Fr- the French were okay in the mm-hmm. end and they did not and just yeah, I mean this this movie came out in 1942, so it's mm-hmm. like years before World War II ends. Oh yeah, uh, they started. I, I think they started production on the day of Pearl Harbor, so just to get a sense <laughs> yeah. of like the context that this was shot in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I my favorite I think image from this scene is Yvonne singing yes. and her reaction yes. to it. Absolutely, the close up like, on her is Victor's very good, and I love when you see um, Ilsa look at him because you mm-hmm. get this. She looks at him with like such maybe not love in the way she has love for Rick, but such mm-hmm. respect. Like you get right. why she's been with him. Mm-hmm. Admiration. Admiration and you, yeah. would be the best word. Yeah, and you get why Strasser's like fucking terrified of him. Yeah. Because, like, exactly. Like he says, look and, at what he can do in this bar. Like, what if we let him free where he has right. like more This is a neutral setting. Right. Right. But I love Yvonne and specifically because of her like kind of mini arc throughout the movie. She goes from like hooking up with Rick. He's not mm-hmm. interested in her. So the next time we see her, she's with I believe a Nazi soldier. And so. he gets in a fight at the bar with a, a French person. Like the uh, the French guy at the bar is just I don't speak the language, but um from the unsubtitled uh, interaction, it seems yeah. like he's saying, what the fuck are you doing with this Nazi? Right, yeah. But then she, you know, they have this this moment of singing the, the anthem and she has such a visceral reaction to it. It's just, it's like maybe the best image from the movie. And it's mm-hmm. not it's not Rick, it's not Ilsa, it's not Victor Laszlo. It's this character whose name I'd forgotten until I rewatched the movie. I, ha- I had to write Yvonne down Yvonne. when she was talking to the bartender dude. Oh yeah, because Sasha. I was like, I'm gonna need to remember her name when it yeah. comes up later, because she has like the shot, and she's just so, like, it seems like her her soul's been taken by like this war, and she just mm-hmm. is trying to sleep around, trying to drink. She's trying to get by, it. like that's you yeah. know, it's just part she's of. She's disinterested with anything else, right? Until yeah. the Marseille, and like that's why the Germans are like. Okay, we're shutting the shit down now. Right, exactly. So they they shut the bar down, um, which is shocked. when we get that he's yeah. shocked, shocked to find gambling going on in this establishment, <laughs> and just the absolute great comic timing of the "your winnings." Like, and he's like, "Oh, thank you." <laughs> like, takes his winnings. That, so, that feels Marx Brothers esque. Right. Like, mm-hmm. e- exactly. It's like this super like good comedic timing little sequence, and um, again, it's it's why Renault is such a like easy to be like what a character that guy is and you're like oh, yeah no, like, not oh, not a good guy but um but yeah so they they shut it down um <laughs> next scene is laszlo actually asking his wife like rick told him to um mm-hmm. about you know what is there thing you want to tell me what's going on here and she doesn't <laughs> want to talk about it um <laughs> which you know poor ilsa um and he doesn't really press her, which I like. Laszlo handles that better than like any person yes. could ever hope to. Yeah, hundred well, percent. Because he thinks about it in such a rational way. It's just like, mm-hmm. well, she thought I was dead. Right. What was she gonna yeah. do? Right. Exactly. He's not. Yeah. He's. It's, it's just this very. Most people would react irrationally to that, and it's just this completely rational thing of like, okay, yeah, she thought she would never see me again. Like, she didn't know I'm a anti-Nazi superhero who can break out of concentration <laughs> camps and escape the Nazis' clutches. Um, Man, which 
learning after the fact of like how bad the concentration camps are like i don't mm-hmm. think people understood that in the 40s but yeah the oh, yeah, yeah. at the time just... no one would have known they would have just thought like oh he was in jail or something like... yeah or at like labor camps and it's like yeah, yeah. it's grueling to like take note that right. it's actual labor camps but just the nazis took it to right level. now so watching it with that prehistory is just like Oh, Victor Laszlo is the coolest. It literally seems impossible, and I'm sure people did actually escape uh-huh. camps from time to time. But it it does seem almost impossible hearing about it in the modern context. Mm-hmm. You're like, how? How did he do that? Uh, <laughs> he jumped a motorcycle over a barricade. I, I was I was going yeah. to say <laughs> he just rode his motorcycle straight out of there. Um, yeah. So then after that, Ilsa goes back to Rick and gives it one more shot to basically beg him more or less um to just do the right thing you know this is bigger than us it's this is not mm-hmm. personal this is you know also is too important um and then she pulls a gun on him which uh <laughs> is only funny because it's like she's she's not gonna shoot him he knows she's not gonna shoot mm-hmm. him but i think she does a pretty good job of conveying like that she she's desperate she's like, ser- she, yeah, yeah. like she's serious um and good Birdman you know. can if we could pull that scene off because you're you right know what, we all you know, know what it reminds it reminds me of um speaking of and i guess spoiler alert from a very famous uh movie scene that's pro- i'm guessing in the top five quotes of the afi list but mm-hmm. when uh brando and and on the waterfront gives this speech mm-hmm. to his brother about uh yeah. you know i could have been a contender his brother pulls a gun on the scene and he's just like he's like he just pushes the gun away Dude. He's like, no he's <laughs> like i know you don't mean this like what are you doing um and rick has sort of the same reaction only in a much not not as like i guess sad way as uh um marlon brando does in on the waterfront it's more like go ahead like just if you're gonna shoot me just shoot me you're doing me a favor like just pull the trigger i don't care right yeah because yeah he's basically just like i'm obviously miserable (laughs) like what what are we what what, how do you think you're threatening me what am i gonna do Um, but you know, she, she's not going to shoot him. She says she still loves him. It's very sad. Um, love and she scene. does right. I know it's really good. Um, but, and then she finally gets to sort of tell her full side of the story of mm-hmm. what happened and you know, how she was going to go. Like she was going to go with Rick and she loved him. But you know, once she found out laszlo was alive she realized like you said she had to make that like that was her sacrifice was Mm. she couldn't go off with rick that would have been the selfish thing to do um you know she had to stay with laszlo and that the way she did it was really for rick's protection because Mm -hmm. if he knew what was going on he would have stayed and then he would have been taken in and so she she did it for him she let him hate her in order to save him really which is really heartbreaking it's really sad these two so even if you know i think it's one of the miracles that this movie pulls off is that you have this very compelling love story but you don't like you don't resent laszlo and i don't know if it's because he's like such like portrayed as like such a good hero of a guy but like it's so rare that you have your two main characters and then you have the, the third guy but he's not you know, he's not the villain. He's not the obstacle. He's just doing his thing. I still feel just as, like, invested in Laszlo and Ilza's relationship mm-hmm. than Rick and Ilza's. Right. And it... I, just, I do, too. I never good. really... I never really want her 
to stay with Rick necessarily. Like it no, just it right. seems like, you know, that, that that was a moment in time, but that would be crazy now <laughs> for her to sort of throw away everything but, and just be like, I'm going to hang out here with you. But as time went by, you know. As yeah. time went by. Um, but so, yeah, she, you know, get, gets to tell her side of the story. And then, you know, she basically says, um, I'm so confused. She has sort of one of those, you know, I don't know what's right anymore. Everything's so terrible. Um, I, I don't love when she says you have to think for both of us. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know, Again, like, there's, there's, there's genuine criticisms we have about Yeah, I mean, it's also, it's, you know, a it's long story being made, yeah, in the early 1940s. That's like a very, yeah, common melodramatic, you know, conversation yes. for them to have. So I don't hold it against the movie, but it is a little like, yeah. it, the movie feels very timeless. And then every once in a while you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Oh. <laughs> right. It uh, was 1940. So then we go back and forth well, no, some I more. Hmm? I, I no. do want to mention one of my favorite uh, like small touches in this sort of section of the film mm. is Carl, the German waiter at sure. Rick's. Yeah. Um, he turns out to be a anti-Nazi resistance member with Victor <laughs> right. Laszlo. Is Carl and the old just, guy? Yeah, Carl's the yeah. old guy. Yeah, that guy rules. Yeah, yeah that guy fucking rules. <laughs> he, he's like talking with his like German friends that are there and they're like, oh, we're going to learn to speak English. And then they're like, me check time and it's like oh, and carl's like oh no these people are never <laughs> yeah. gonna make it yeah this is not happening <laughs> but yeah to see carl like booking it from like building to building trying to hide from nazis with victor laszlo is like man you're so fucking cool i to be like carl when i grow up yeah yeah i do i he stood out to me this time too um yeah he's good um, yeah, and like I said, they go back and forth with, you know, the papers some more. Um, there's a lot of sort of bureaucratic uh, back and forth with, okay, how can we get the letters of transit? And then Laszlo gets arrested. Um, do you remember what they arrest him for? Because they, they go to arrest him and then it's they don't even know he has the, or doesn't have the letters of transit yet. But... I don't remember what they're... I guess it was just a pretense, basically. They're just locking Tax up. They're evasion. mad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He did not pay his taxes. <laughs> it's always what gets you. Um, so, yeah, but now they have to figure out... So, you know, adding that hurdle, like it wasn't already hard enough to figure out how they were going to get everybody out of here. Now he's been arrested. And so Rick basically enacts what is like a pretty elaborate scheme <laughs> to um, make to pull this all off where he basically tells Renault that he's like, OK, well, Lazo's arrested. I'm going to take Elsa and get out of here. He sells his club <laughs> to Ferrari mm -hmm. to basically, mm -hmm. you know, complete the story to say, look, I'm getting out of here. I'm, I'm selling the club. I'm going to go um, and sort of creates this like big setup with mm -hmm. Renault and like we were saying, it sort of goes to show that he, he knows he can't trust him. Like, him and Renault sort of have a good working relationship, but, like, he has to basically pull this very elaborate mm -hmm. scheme to, you know. Well, he knows he's going to stick his neck out for nobody, literally, and yeah, just yeah, while he's helping the Nazis. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> actually, like, Rick's, or, yeah, Rick says that he doesn't care about anybody and won't intervene. Renault really won't. He just was yeah. like, I'm just going to do literally whatever is going on. Um, and so then he gets him involved. Yes. So I, they they arrest um, 
Laszlo for accessory uh-huh. to the murder of the German couriers. Oh, uh, so it's really okay. trumped up. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, it's yeah. a super trumped up charge of a thing that happened when he wasn't there yet in right. the country. Yeah, yeah okay. And that's it. something like Humphrey but Bogart mentions is like, you really can't keep him like more than like 10 days or something, mm-hmm. at which point you're back to the square you started at. Like, work with me, I will catch Laszlo. Right, ex- exactly. Yeah, I forgot that's what he basically says. It's like, well, this isn't going to stick. This is temporary. However, I can help you get him, you know, because he's going to have some papers on him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Rick, yeah, it gets very elaborate here. And I always, I can never remember every time I watch it exactly how it goes. But Rick tells Renault to, you know, call the airport. Renault calls the stupid Nazis instead uh, because he is still fully just working oh, with the well, Nazis. Wait, you're skipping ahead. Like, <laughs> I have so many notes about, like, the whole confrontation about... Uh, when Renault comes over and like Humphrey Bogart is in full evil Humphrey Bogart mode yes. where he's like mocking Laszlo and like saying like, he's all happy that Renault's going to like throw Laszlo into a concentration camp. I'm like, Oh my God, this is like treasure Sierra Madre, like Humphrey Bogart coming out and just being like, you're the worst fucking asshole in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And then Renault turns around and Rick's pointing a gun at him. And it's like, Yes. Yeah. Hero Humphrey Bogart's the best. I was trying to remember, like, I'm trying to remember if I ever fell for that. Like, if the first time, I wish I could remember the first time I watched this movie, but yeah, I can't same. really. But I can't, because it is, I guess it's a great reveal, because he basically, you know, is, yeah, being just totally evil. And you're like, geez, Rick, I know you're mad, but what are you doing? And then, yeah, the reveal when he's holding the gun is so great. Um, and now it's fun to watch it play out where you know where it's going, but have to imagine it's one of those audiences at the time talk about like maybe, maybe that's like a big cheer like that maybe that's like the big cheer yeah. line no, where... the, the big cheer is the la marcia though like nothing, <laughs> nothing's a bigger cheer than the that's true nothing is a bigger cheer than that um wait nick yeah. do you have that list open i'm curious let what me, they put ahead me. of la marcia because fucking seriously God, oh it why. doesn't even have like the scene it just has the movie <laughs> what, what, what's ahead what's number one it's, it's a wonderful con- life okay <laughs> to kill mockingbird schindler's list rocky mr i don't understand what this is a <laughs> the most don't inspiring ask. films is determined by the afi okay so just mm. generally inspiring okay yeah cool. i think they should have to pick a moment though honestly if you're gonna yeah, yeah. Same. The list. Come on, guys. Like, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is number 17. That is not an inspiring movie. No. I That's... mean, the ending is, like, a bit uplifting. That, right. Like, you can escape this hellhole, but... Yeah, but some stuff happens right before that. <laughs> yeah, that, I was going to uh, say... Uh, fucking I'd vegetable. Say it's not, uh, some not the most of inspiring. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, again, yeah, if they said, like, if they had an individual moment and said it's the biggest, you know, escape at the end, then yeah. sure. But just yeah. like... I, just after Casablanca is City Lights. Oh, uh, a few down from that is On the Waterfront, and then right after On the Waterfront is Dylan's favorite movie, Forrest, Forrest Gump. Gump. Sure, you gotta be fucking kidding. God. The people they love Forrest Gump. I, I I don't. If you're putting Forrest Gump, how close is Forrest Gump to Casablanca? It is number thirty-seven. Casablanca is thirty-two. If you're putting Casablanca and Forrest Gump in the same breath, like. Come on. Seriously. Ray is number 99. When's the last time anyone's talked about Ray? When was this list? I literally when you said 2004. Literally <laughs> when you said list. Ray, I was like, "What? Ray? Oh, right." 
that movie. Yeah, this was made two years after Ray, so that yeah, explains. There's a real, well, there's a real recency bias. Uh, that'll do it. A Beautiful Mind is number uh, 93. Jesus. I'm guessing both of those would fall off. Fall off, yeah. Cause, what, yeah, because... <laughs> it's like you're okay. Read down the Nick, whole list. Nick, what's what's right below Forrest Gump that's gonna make me mad? What's the what's what's the most frustrating thing you can tell me right now that's below Forrest Gump? Just barely. Uh, it's on the waterfront. Just above it or just below it? Just like just like, it's losing to Forrest Gump. Yeah. What did Forrest Gump oh. beat? Is what Dylan wants to know. Oh, oh, gotcha. Pinocchio. How is okay. that a cheer? The movie's terrifying. I, I was gonna say. I was like, Pinocchio is such a dark movie. There's not a okay, lot to what's celebrate next? in that movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> the next one the next one is good okay. it's uh i believe it's on jana's shirt right now if i saw the top oh, of her shirt it's a star wars star shirt. wars yeah. yeah yeah number 39 is star I'm wars i'm actually wearing a porg shirt just to be clear oh, about my yeah. Star wars oh yeah shirt. Jedi going. yeah star wars say, this is actually a little uh porg shirt but yes yeah um yeah so that's that, yeah that's good I'll, I'll allow star wars as a big cheer movie not i'm surprised it's not higher than 39 i was gonna say I mean, below Forrest what, Gump and what's one What's bigger than <laughs> blowing up the fascists and then the best like celebration yeah. scene ever? Like Yeah, exactly. What more do that's... you want? Are you talking about uh Rick shooting Strasser? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's true. I was going to say which fascists are we taking out here? Uh, uh, honestly, any movie that just takes out fascists. Yeah. Cheer. Yeah. Yeah, so speaking of taking out fascists, um yeah, we get to the final scene of the movie, which takes place at the airport, um, where we have just a few more double crosses before this whole thing uh, is going to wrap up. Um, but, you know, th- this is where Rick, like Ilsa told him to, does the thinking for the both of them, basically, and tells her that you're getting on that plane. The papers are for the two of you. Um, you know, the hill of beans. Yeah, the, the problems of three people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Um, and that... You know, Laszlo is just too important, and he needs Ilsa to continue doing his important work. Um, and, you know, he sort of gives her this, like, plausible deniability out, like, where he basically covers for her and is like, yeah, she tried to lie to me and, and said she loved me to do this, but, you know, she was totally lying. And meanwhile, Ilsa's, like, having a breakdown over this whole situation. Uh, poor, poor Ilsa. Um, she really gets put through the ringer. Um, but they just in the nick of time go for the airplane. That's when, uh, the Nazis show up, Stasser shows up and is going to call the radio tower to stop the airplane and Rick shoots him dead, which, you know, I feel like yes. you really gotta be, it's, it, it is kind of funny when it's like our, our hero just fully shooting a guy dead before he can make a phone call, um, is the hero moment. But when you're, when your bad guy's a Nazi, I feel like that's. Perfectly yeah, it's all right. Appropriate hero behavior, and also played so evilly by Conrad Veidt. Yeah, like, he's he's really good. We didn't talk about him a ton. He sort of does the like. What I like is that he's not cartoonishly evil. Like it's sort yeah. of a banality of evil thing where he just sort of you know walks around like he's a totally normal soldier, and this is just what's going on, and he's just going to take this guy down. Um, and yeah, he's not some sort of evil cartoon of a Nazi. It's just like, yeah, he's a bad dude. Um, but it, it makes him scarier to me because it just feels mm-hmm. like a totally realistic performance. And he, I believe, was also like a, a refugee or he had fled yeah, Germany, yeah, he was, right? He was German and I th- uh, at least on Wikipedia it says he was 
uh, vehemently anti-Nazi. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. And he like made his Nazi career by over. playing Nazis, like in sort mm-hmm. of anti-Nazi films, which is a, I, I a mean, fun way that, to take that, revenge. That's just, that's just one performance. Like he also played the hero in Michael Pohl's Thief of Baghdad. Mm. And um, he's, I mean, you guys have seen Dr. Caligari, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, I uh, have not. He's the, he's he's the, the monster protagonist. in Dr. Caligari. Yeah. Or, oh, I guess no. not the protagonist, but he's uh, the Caesar. The yeah, the guy. The the thing that's awoken. Oh yeah. God! Oh, I have not. That's that's people. on my long list of. I should really watch that, and I have not. But um, it's good and it's real short. Oh, it's there you like go. Just over Perfect. An and it, it, it's pretty. It, it, the the scares hold up pretty damn well. I will say. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, it looks scary. Uh, but yeah, he's he's really good in this um, as a, yeah, just again, banality of evil Nazi who Rick gets to heroically take down, which is excellent. Um, the French police come running up. And at this point, Renault, because he knows which way the wind is blowing, <laughs> is like, <laughs> sure, Rick, okay, uh, I'm not going to rat you out because um, he just... I guess has no no loyalty to anyone on either side. He doesn't care, um, and that's when he tells the other officers that they are going to round up the usual suspects to figure out who m- must have killed this Nazi soldier. As Rick's standing there with the <laughs> gun in his hand over the dead body, um, so that's pretty. The gun's good. still then, like smoking. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> literally, still like holding the smoking gun. Um, and I do like that. Renault sort of gives. Rick, like, a hard time, calls him out on, like, yeah, I said you didn't care and you weren't going to get involved, huh? Guess uh, guess you're a real patriot after all. I guess you just couldn't help yourself. Um, <laughs> so I do enjoy that. And then, yeah, they have a nice little conversation about where they're going to go from here and walk off together and then have one of the most famous final lines in cinema. Um where he says he thinks it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship, and then the fresh national anthem comes on, and we all jump up and applaud and cheer, and yeah, it's good. It's pretty good. Best. So yeah. Ebert closes out his audio commentary by saying, um, "When, and I don't even know if I don't think this got one of his votes actually. The last time he voted in uh, the BFI list, let me look. Uh, but he says BFI. when when people ask him what his favorite movie of all time is." Or no, what what the best movie of all time is. He says he always answers Citizen Kane. But when they ask him what his favorite movie of all time is, the movie that he could watch over and over again, um, he goes with Casablanca. So and he didn't he didn't give it a vote um, for his BFI. Do you guys do you guys draw distinguish do you distinguish between favorite and best? Where do you fall on that goofy argument? Yeah. Well Paddington's not the best movie of all time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I try not to. Yeah. But I mean, I I see his point. Like I I get what he's getting at. Right. Um Yeah, I I definitely do that and I I think in some ways it's just because I like not question my own taste, but it's like I can yeah. you know, I I feel weird being like just because I think something's the favorite, you know, favorite it's the best. The best I, think, does it make, I think I can yeah. recognize something that is accomplished that maybe is not for me. Um yeah. but yeah, I haven't seen Citizen Kane yet. Looking forward to it. Um, 
so I can't sort of compare it, make that exact comparison. But Casablanca really is just so rewatchable. Um, the line I pulled from Ebert's essay that really stuck out to me is where he says, seeing the film again over and over again year after year, I find it never grows over familiar. It plays like a favorite musical album. The more I know it, the more I like it. And I just Ooh, think that that's is, like su- super true. That is exactly the quote it's, that I had. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I just think it's like a perfect description of of the movie and how it plays and you can just watch it. Yeah, over and over. It never, it never gets old. Um, you know, like I said, have, have my quibbles. You could do, there's a couple scenes that maybe could have been done differently, but kind of a perfect movie. Yep. I'm, yeah. I, I'm curious to quiz you guys on this. Oh gosh. So where was a Casablanca rated? On the Sight and Sound critics list for 2012 and the director's list for 2012. Where do you guys? I already, think? I already had it. Oh, you know. Up, so I saw. Yeah, I know. Jamin, give it a go. Oh my God. Um, now I'm trying to remember because I looked at the list, but it's been a few weeks. Um, is it like, I don't know, on the main the main list like? Mm, no, uh, I don't know, like 50. Okay, where do you think it's on the director's list? I don't know if I think it's lower or higher. Did I'm going to say with 50. I'm, I'm gonna, no, I'm going to say I'm going to say lower. I'm going to say on the director's list it's maybe like 100 or something. Okay, it's 84 on the critics list. Okay. Just just below Fanny and Alexander in Spirit of the Beehive, which oh, I love Spirit, Spirit of the, the Beehive. Beehive. I've never heard of Spirit of the Beehive. That's a new one. <laughs> I love Spirit. Like, Spirit of the Beehive is a top 50, 60 movie for me, probably. Like, I'd, I'd vote for Spirit of the Beehive before Casablanca, probably. But just the fact that Spirit of the Beehive is above Casablanca is bonkers. Yeah. And it's, it's Magnus and Ambersons one... is above it. I mean, yeah, I mean people that like that. Sense. Yeah, um, that does, that doesn't surprise me. Fanny and Alexander is like probably top twenty-five for me. I would say. I, I know. Right? I, okay, just just behind Casablanca is uh, tied with Casablanca is Brighter Summer's Day by Edward Yang. Sure. Which again, great movie, but like I would have just never expected. Also tied with Casablanca is The Color of the Pomegranates. Oh sure. Sergei Criterion Power. just put that out. Oh really? Recently, yeah. yeah, I watched I'm not that earlier this year. Uh, Lady Gaga's new music video is based on the visuals from oh, The Color wow. of Pomegranates, apparently. Because wow. Letterbox had posted on their Twitter that Color of Pomegranates was suddenly getting all these reviews, and they're all just like, <laughs> "I didn't understand this at all." And <laughs> a bunch of Lady a, Gaga uh, fans who checked it out and were like, "What the hell am I watching?" I have to, as, as a, a seasoned cinephile, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if I actually reviewed it, but if I did, I'm sure it was. This movie looked cool. I didn't understand it at all because. Uh, Man, that is it's a it's an interesting movie. It is it is dense. It is yeah. incomprehensible. Like in a uh, it looks like I didn't actually review it. Yeah. Um yeah, it's it's a good movie, but it is to say it is not uh, a traditional linear narrative. Mm. Understatement. It's quite an understatement. Yeah. It's a challenging I, movie. It's a cool movie. I do want to mention a few spots below Casablanca on the critics list, though, is The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, which mm-hmm. I was begging Janet to watch, but I don't think she got to I before. I did not the... get to it, no. But that's yeah. also just an insane movie. There's a trio of people, sort of. I mean, there's, there's, uh, I don't know. If you've seen it, you, and I, you know what I mean. But there is 
kind of a trio of people there's, that are there's some similarities to that in casablanca it's a sort of a love triangle political thing that's being filmed like right at uh right that, during that, the height that, of world that's war ii the main thing is just the yeah. fact that both the, the the fact that both uh the life and death of colonel bloom and casablanca were made while the war was happening not knowing the result like it's it's just mind-blowing to me um yeah so between anyway. between color of pomegranates colonel blimp uh color of pomegranates and a brighter summer's day those are all movies that i've watched for the first time just this year <laughs> those are all 2020 so I, watches I, yeah i really hit the uh the 80s on the sight and soundless <laughs> pretty hard apparently i, I was gonna <laughs> say you weren't even going like in a list order that's just a coincidence no no there's total coincidence <laughs> Didn't you also just watch A Day in the Country for the first time? Yeah, yeah. Because that I mean, is... Just, just like six months ago or whatever. But yeah, but like... This year, within... this year, yes. That That's also number 90, so... Yeah, I, I must have, uh, I don't know, subconsciously <laughs> wanted to knock out that's the... That's really funny. The yeah. late 100s of the sight and sound list. So where does it fall on the director's list, Dylan? It's not on the director's list. At all? Nope. I wonder how many can you do you have the link there to see yeah. who had how many people had voted for it? Oh, I, I, I just had it up and I closed oh. it. Uh, give me one sec. The the one director whose name I knew was uh, Monty Hellman, which is oh. kind of surprising. Yeah. Huh. Uh, Juan Campanella, Peter Davis, Peter Kosminski, Georgi Palfi. I can't imagine I pronounced that right. And uh, Monty <laughs> Hellman. All right. And then what? 19 what? critics voted for it. Uh, just skimming them, I don't recognize any of their names. Okay. How, how did no one vote for it? How, how are people voting for Breathless to number 11? And not the BFI list is, like, extremely, like, art house, yeah. independent cinema. It's not nothing, super studio. I have no... I have no problem with art house movies. But... No, no, no. I, no, I know. But it's just, like, I, that's that's why when you were asking, I was, like, thinking okay it's hopefully on the list but it's not surprising yeah if you go from like that era of like studio hollywood Mm -hmm. um era movies i mean what else is even above it like citizen kane if you even include that even though that's kind of more yeah art house Mm -hmm. there's a handful of westerns that are above it but there's nothing really that's in that vein of um of movie that i think at least on a quick skim that's going above it i mean there's a few hitchcocks which i would say also don't really f- yeah. fall under the same umbrella kind of their own thing maybe sunset boulevard yeah but for the most like it, it's just kind of not their genre of of movie from the mm-hmm. people they sampled in that i mean they have searchers in the top 10 they have vertigo in the top 10 they have you know uh apocalypse now at 14 they still have these big name movies, Godfather yeah. Twenty One. Yeah, it's but it's th- not cool to like Casablanca. I don't know why it's not. <laughs> Everyone should like a movie where screw Nazis. <laughs> yep. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so quick Oscar talk. Uh, movie was nominated for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Oscars. Um, only won three for. Best picture, best director, best screenplay. So you know, pretty, pretty big ones. Um, it was. Not... Did any of the actors get nominated? Oh yeah, um, Cla- uh, Humphrey Bogart and Claude Rains got nominated and both lost. 
Okay, I'm curious. Bergman I'm was to... nominated, but not for Casablanca. She was oh, nominated right. for For Whom the Bell Tolls. That's correct. Oh my god. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, man, I cannot not, find... Yeah, nominated for cinematography and editing and score. Was it nominated for costume design? Because seriously... No, it was. Was that not. even a was that a category actually, back then? Doesn't seem like it actually. So my bad. Ori Kelly Bogart, getting snubbed over here. Humphrey Bogart lost to Paul Lucas for "Watch on the Rhine." Um, which Wait, is, is a, that the name of the song that the Germans? That's what sings? I was just about to say. <laughs> a 1943 American drama film directed by Herman Shumlin and starring Betty Davis and Paul Lucas. Screenplay mm-hmm. by Dashiell Hammett based on a 1941 play by Lillian Hellman. So, yes. Huh. That um, is the name of the song that the Germans sing. Yeah. Watch it's on a, wow. It's about that is... a, German, a German-born engineer and his American wife, um, like, uh, escaping to America, basically. So, Hey, you know sense. what that sounds like? The life and death of Colonel fucking Blip. Well. <laughs> kind of. Sure. Sure. Um... Claude and then, Rains lost to Charles Coburn in The More, The Merrier, uh-huh. which is a Gene Arthur movie, um, yeah, which makes fun that. of the housing shortage. So the thing about these Oscars, um, like, there's just, like, a huge, like, it's, like, they're all World War II Oscars. Like, pretty much all the movies are about Seriously. World War II. The, the nominated documentary shorts are are literally, like, credited to, like, the Office of the Navy. <laughs> like, it's, it's oh, wow. little, yes, the, if you look at the best documentary short subject, um, the one that won was called December 7th um, and was produced by the United States Navy. Um there is mm. Swedes in America um, by the United States Office of War Information, Overseas Motion Picture Bureau, and Tomorrow We Fly by the United States Navy Bureau of Aeronautics. So it was pretty much just like propaganda one-reelers that were getting nominated in this uh, short subject category. It's, it's pretty fascinating. It's weird to remember at a, that there was a time when they had a split best cinematography from black and white and color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. I, the opera one color. That's I, interesting. I, I with Claude Rains. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I want there to be more Oscar categories, so I'm all in favor of splitting yes, things please. like that. I love that they used to do comedy and drama scores. You know, I yeah. think that's really cool. Um, yeah, they used to have a lot of split. Because um, I think they also might have. Maybe I'm Maybe I made this up. I feel like maybe there was two different costume design awards for color and black and white. Because when we looked at the. Um, the All About Eve Oscar year, there was a ton yeah. of like black and white and color being two distinct uh, awards options. When was the first costume design awarded? 48. Ah. And they kept the black and white versus color until. The wow. The 60s, maybe? They keep it that At long? At least. I'm still scrolling. I'm in the 60s and there. 67. Okay. Yeah, first time Bonnie and Clyde lost the first Two? one. Camelot. Oh, right. Yeah. Sure. Big costumes always win. So Yeah, that is true. But that's um, the big always wins Oscars no matter what. Yeah, same with big acting. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So, oh, yeah. Before we wrap up our Casablanca discussion, um, I do have a 
uh, Kale Corner check-in uh, yes. about Pauline Kale's thoughts on this film. So if you'll, she has like basically just a capsule review. Um, so if you indulge me for a second, I'm going to read it. It's just a few sentences long um, and it's very Pauline Kale. I'm not going to do a Pauline Kale impression, but you feel me. Okay. She said, Ingrid, she said, Ingrid Bergman became a popular favorite when Humphrey Bogart as Rick, the most famous saloon keeper in screen history, treated her like a whore. Although their romance was certified by a collection of Academy Awards, they didn't press their luck and never appeared together again. In the role of the cynic redeemed by love, Bogart became the great adventurer lover of the screen during the Warriors. In this film, he established the figure of the rebellious hero, the lone wolf who hates and defies officialdom. And in the movies, he fulfilled a universal fantasy. He got away with it. Questioned about his purpose and motives, he informs the police, I came to Casablanca for the waters. Waters? What waters? We're in the desert. I was misinformed. It's far from a great film, but it has a special appealingly schlocky romanticism, and you're never really pressed to take its melodramatic twists and turns seriously. <laughs> so that's what? that's Pauline Gale's take on Casablanca, which is just feels very, uh, you know, apt for what I would expect her to say. It's vintage Pauline Kale. It, it really is. Yeah. Uh, the most famous saloon keeper in screen this history a, treated her like a whore. Probably the first time I've been. Yeah, way more in line with Roger than Hubert's side. Yeah, Kale. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I still think like it. It's worth bringing up the criticisms of how Ilsa is sure like portrayed, but like yeah, she still has so much more than just being right. That right. Far from a great film, but a special, appealingly schlocky romanticism. Ah, Pauline. All right, do you guys have any other final Casablanca thoughts, things we didn't talk about that you wanted to hit on? It's perfect. It's good. It's a good, good movie. movie. Oh, there's one thing I that I have written down just because I was like, it's kind of weird. Ebert really hated the Laszlo performance. <laughs> yes, that what? I, I noted that? that too. Which is just he, he, wild to me. During the commentary, he's like, look at him. He looks like he's rooting off a cue cards. What? <laughs> he's like, look at where his eyes are going. He looks like he's rooting off cue cards. And I'm like, wow. That's, uh... Yeah, it's, uh... It's, it's a wild opinion to have. Um, come on, Roger. That's great. Wow. Yeah. So he also, he does mention that, um... And I guess it's sort of like in keeping with when he says that his, the movie he likes best is Casablanca, is that he he says that this has probably uh, been on more like top American movies list than any other movie mm-hmm. because it has such a wide appeal, which is maybe why um, the BFI voters didn't vote for it is because of its wide appeal. But it's a movie that cinephiles like, but also non-cinephiles mm-hmm. also yeah. like he's, he says that people even people who don't like watching black and white movies will watch this and still find something to enjoy so i think that's yeah maybe why some people have the kind of contrarian reaction to it but uh, i'm not gonna yeah. do that i think it's I good see that <laughs> yeah i agreed i think it's good so I'm, I'm, before we wrap up the yes. casablanca discussion i want to ask where do you guys think it's ranked in the letterboxed uh, top 250. Oh. That's a good question. Knowing the letterboxed crew, like it's right. such a heterogeneous group of uh, voters. Yeah. So I would guess outside of the top 100, but not out w- within the 100s. I, I was going to say, I was going to say 200. One. 
50. Oh, okay. It's 107. So it's oh, okay. Not... All right. That's a lot lower than I actually thought it would be, but I guess I, you guys, I mean, uh, not a not a reflection on the quality of the movie, just based on yeah. spending yeah. time on Letterboxd and being like it's sandwiched <laughs> between Doctor Strangelove and All About Eve. So okay, also movies in this book. I was gonna say, yeah, good good movies. But, so and then a separation, which is so fucking good. Um, th- there's two Fincher movies right ahead of Casablanca, though. Seven is 105 and Fight Club is 102. Which... <laughs> Fight Club's higher than Casablanca. Uh, I, I really don't have any words for people that. That's think funny. Fight Club I mean, is people, people on the. Well, I don't know. Fight Club's weird. Uh, I feel like the opinion on that movie goes way up and down depending on. It's not a bad movie. No, it's not a bad movie. Um, but yeah, that's pretty funny. All right. So. I guess that's a thumbs down for everyone. Pretty disappointing. Yeah. Not a fan. Yep. <laughs> One and a half stars. Yeah. Um, no, We're not obvious. giving this the bel your treatment. All right. So thumbs up. Um, all right. How many How many stars did you give it, Dylan? Four. Four. Okay. Four. Nick, what about you? Yeah, all four. All four. Yes. Yeah, same here. I thought. I thought Dylan. I don't know. I thought maybe you might like knock knock it down a half or something. Or but no, full, full four stars. No complaints. I think I'd be closer to going four and a half out of five, but I would never consider a three gotcha. and a half out of four. Fair enough. It's not. It's not a perfect movie, but like its highs are just unbelievably yeah. high. Yeah. Some of the best. I'm giving out four stars for. Uh... The foreseeable future. I was gonna say. I'm gonna this... say. I'm just looking at the list of movies we have coming up. <laughs> now, what's it's... next? Um, it's... coming up next week is going to be Chinatown. Uh, well, one of us won't be giving a Chinatown a four stars, probably. I'm, I'm just gonna I've give. Never it the... seen it. Can't wait to uh, uh, find out what I think. Spoiler alert! But uh, unless something drastically changes in my reaction to that movie, it's gonna be getting uh, all four stars from from this guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it's a good movie. It's very good. Yeah, it's, fair enough. It's a fucking gnarly movie. <laughs> I, I'm, it really I'm excited is. to you're watch talk, it. You're talking about a classic film, like you just did, like a hooks board <laughs> on their skateboard. Good I don't gnarly. know what skateboard turns are, but it sounds exactly. I like think that. that's one. I think that's one. Um, no, I'm excited to watch it. Um, all right, so before we actually wrap up, Dylan, you wanted to do a quick check in on what we've been watching this week yeah. besides Casablanca. What do you got? Uh, what have I got? Um, let's see. Uh, let me go to my letterbox so I know. Um, I saw Gun Crazy, which was going off of Criterion. It's a pretty damn good film noir that feels like it's almost like early French New Wave. Have either of you guys seen Gun Crazy? Yeah, yeah. It came yes. up on our... Um... Bonnie and Clyde discussion, I think. Yeah. Like, maybe yeah, a little briefly. It, it yeah, really it feels like Bonnie and Clyde. Um, this is my first time seeing it. Thought it was pretty damn good. Um, not, like, exceptional, but I think I'd probably rate it better than Bonnie and Clyde, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick, do, would you have it higher than Bonnie and Clyde? Uh, I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it. it is, I mean, it's a B picture. It's a little bit uh, rough around the edges. So mm-hmm. I think... Um, I think I'd probably still go Bonnie and Clyde a little bit higher, but of both movies, it does have the most memorable scene of the two, which is the the long, there's like a long one in which they rob a bank. Um, it's so unlike every shot. long one where it's like, 
the camera is stationary the whole freaking time. It's not like they're sweeping and like moving the camera through this one thing, putting it on dollies or like running on it with handhelds. It's just like it was very weird. I was not expecting that. Like halfway through the scene, I was like, "Oh my god, this shot is still running." I'm freaking out. Um, I also saw the Jafar pa- Panaha. Oh god, I'm Panahi. Not Panahi. Uh, mm-hmm. This is not a film. Which uh, didn't exactly live up to the expectations I put on it. I thought it was more interesting than good, but still very good. That was kind of my reaction to it, too. It's another movie that, like, I mean, kind of by design, but it is a little bit tough to look at because they shot it. He shot it on an iPhone. Yeah, and it it looks like it. Yeah, Yeah, it looks like it. It's also just kind of this dude like expositating about the movies he made in the past and the movies he wished he could make. And it's like, cool, I'll just go watch those movies. They look a lot better. Yeah. But yeah, still interesting. Um interesting political climate. That, yeah, I uh, mean he's he's doing the most with what uh yeah, his situation is, I think. That's seriously true. Um I watched Gone Girl for the first time yesterday. Oh, you did watch it. <laughs> yes. I didn't want to tell you guys about it, but yeah, I, I watched Gone Girl. <laughs> you didn't want to admit it? No. Well, I thought I would leave whatever discussion for the podcast because I know it's Jana's. It's a big Jana movie. It is. Um, it's also Fincher, so I'm assuming it's a big Nick movie. It's a big Nick movie. It's a very good yeah. movie. What do you think, yeah, Dylan? It's... I would say I'm a little underwhelmed. And I think had you, maybe had I, you read the book? No. You weren't familiar with the book? Okay. Um, I kind of I thought this would be, like, my Fincher. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd finally, like, fully connect with the Fincher. Because I don't think of... I'm trying to think. What would be my highest rated Fincher? Zodiac? Probably Zodiac. But even then, that's not the most Dylan of films. Right. Um... I th- the way I'd put it, because I don't want to talk too much about spoilers, because it's still a pretty new film, but I would say the text itself was good, not great. The meta text was exceptional. It is pretty good. Yeah, um, and just, like, completely emasculating and torturing Ben Affleck is just something I enjoyed watching for two and a half hours. I think it's something David Fincher enjoyed doing. Yeah, um, that, which is pretty so, great. like, even if the movie itself wasn't up to the standard, the fact that the whole movie was just about like torturing Ben Affleck, which it yeah. felt great. It felt it's one really of the great. prime examples for me of a movie that's better than the book. Um, I think the book is just okay. It was like a huge phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I read it for a book club, like tons of people did the year when that came out. Um, and I think the movie's just way better. And I think it's just because of Fincher's style. Like, you know, the story Fincher, is what it is, like, basically. I, but I, I love how he brings his style to that story. Yeah. And I, I, I personally do not connect a lot with sort of Fincher's filmmaking, but I, I will never not deny that he is, he's an incredible filmmaker himself. Like it's undeniable. And then the last thing I watched this week was Dick Johnson is dead. And uh, we all watched this yesterday. Correct. Yeah. Um, I watched it Friday, but yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure how much we're going to talk about, but I do kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on Dick Johnson is dead in general. It was as rough a watch as I thought it would be. <laughs> really? Was, uh, I mean, it, it was as up, it was as upsetting as I thought it would be. I mean, I thought it was phenomenal. I, I liked it a lot more. I thought I would not like it. 
because of how upsetting I knew I would find it. Okay. Um, but I, but I really, really loved it. Um, despite still, yeah, being pretty devastated by it overall. But um, yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, Dick Johnson is dead. New movie from Catherine. Is it Catherine Johnson? That's not right. Kirsten. Kirsten Johnson. Thank you. Um, about it's a a documentary she makes about her ailing father who's in his 80s and beginning to suffer from dementia and she had recently lost her mother to alzheimer's as well um and so she makes this sort of like very stylish documentary where he agrees to like act out various ways that he could die um but then it and then it also just has lots of quiet moments about the day-to-day of his life in his later years and failing health. Um, yeah, it's really something, that movie. It's so good. I, I um, like the first half hour of the movie, maybe I just had a big smile on my face the whole time. Yeah, yeah seriously. Dick Johnson is just like the sweetest, most yeah. charming. Oh, yeah. Like great guy. And really that was the point of the movie is that she she says later in the movie that she really doesn't have footage of her mother because she's a, a cinematographer mm-hmm. um, by trade before mm-hmm. she made, uh, I think her first movie that she was director on was um, Camera Person mm-hmm. from a few years ago. And then this is her, her follow-up to that. Um, and she only has footage of her mother when she was like towards the end of her life yeah. um, with Alzheimer's. So she wanted to have something like sort of a keepsake almost or like here's here's how my father is and what mm-hmm. kind of person he is and you know there's lots of interviews and then these just like total goofball fantasy sequences yeah. um <laughs> they were hilarious <laughs> there are a few parts that are like a big punch to the gut and then she pulls the rug out from under you but not entirely in a way that it still has that emotional resonance but also like cinematic cleverness to it mm-hmm. um it's I, I really enjoyed it and um don't I, I would if people haven't seen it I wouldn't read anything about it yeah until until after they watch it all right what what did you watch this week Nick um so I watched Dick Johnson is dead I also watched mm-hmm. Kobe doing work oh. um which is like a documentary from 2009 in which a bunch of cameras just focus on Kobe during a game. It's kind of interesting. I watched Hopper Wells for the New York Film Festival, which is a conversation for over two hours between Dennis Hopper and Orson Wells. Orson Wells is sort of playing Jake Hannaford, which is his uh, the uh, John Huston character in The Other Side of the Wind. We never actually see him. The camera's almost literally only on Dennis Hopper. Mm-hmm. But then every now and then, like, Hopper will talk to him and I'll say well you know Jake and then at one point they start getting like combative with a part of the conversation and he calls him Jake and he's like no stop that he's like we're just we're having a real conversation now it's it's pretty interesting, interesting. so I I was really high on it it seemed like more so than than most just because mm-hmm. it's uh two people who I love listen to talk talk for two hours and mm-hmm. I love I love yeah. Orson Welles so so I was I was fully on board with that um we watched the Heartbreak Kid, the Elaine May movie, which mm-hmm. was very tough to track down. I had to find a bootleg, like burned copy of it on DVD. Mm. Um, very funny movie. Very like big, awkward, cringe energy. Mm. Do, does your appreciation of Elaine May still hold up with this movie? Oh yeah, absolutely. Four I still movies. Need to watch. She directed. I need four to watch movies. Ishtar still. Um, 
But all all I hear about those four movies are just so good. Yeah, I mean, they're just, very good. It's a bummer that she only got direct four. Yeah, yeah, she's still around. She's still. She's still out there. Yeah, she's still yeah. out there. Uh, Could happen. And then, <laughs> yeah, probably not. I think she's like ninety two or ninety three. Yeah. <laughs> and then last night we watched um, the new Gia Janka movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's a documentary through the New York Film Festival called Swimming Out Till the Sea Turns Blue. I was a little bit colder on that. It's mm-hmm. um, just a talking head documentary of various people. Um, some of the stories are more interesting than others, but it, I was never like fully like gripped by it. But it's, I guess, worth worth checking out, but I didn't I didn't love it. I wasn't as uh, like honed in on it as uh, I was with Hopper Wells, which is also just a sort of a talking head documentary, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, in its own way. Gotcha. What did you watch this week, Jana? Um, so other than Dick Johnson is dead, most of us have been watching Halloween movies. Um, I watched Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, mm. which is uh, <laughs> real bad. <laughs> that movie is... Uh, not good. I've heard, I've heard the third Nightmare of Elm Street, though. Like, I've heard that's, that was shit. That's the one I want to watch. But I, I, I was insisting on, you know, God forbid I go straight to three and I, I yeah, lose the yeah. important context of part two. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd heard part two was not good, although it's quite weird. It is definitely quite weird. And it has, like, a lot of sort of weird queer text and subtext, um, mm. which is pretty interesting. But it's, like, it's not as good as the first one, which I thought was fun. Um, and then... Also watched a new horror movie on Shutter called Scare Me, uh, which has Aya Cash from You're the Worst, um, and poor guy whose name I'm forgetting, the writer-director, his name is Josh Rubin, and it's just this very small-scale story. It's these two writers um, are both out sort of in these cabins, and the power goes out, and so... Ayakash's character goes to the other guy's cabin to hang out there together and they challenge each other to tell each other scary stories and they tell each other scary stories back and forth um and then at one point Chris Red shows up with some pizza it's it's fun like it's not um it's it's mostly a comedy um and then it takes a a real turn at the end and gets quite quite um scary at the very end Um, but I do recommend it if anyone is like doing what I do and just seasonally subscribing to Shudder um, so they can watch horror movies this month. Um, and then I also watched last year's PG-13 horror movie, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, um, which was kind of fun, actually. Um, I love those books. I like have them sitting out right now. Um, so I got a kick out of that. It is the least convincing period piece I've ever seen. I fully watched 20 minutes of it before realizing it was supposed to be set in 1968 because <laughs> <laughs> none of the actors or the way they were dressed led me to believe that. It wasn't until they showed a car that I was like, wait, where is this? And then I looked it up and it was 68. And then we watched The Guest last night because I always watch that at the beginning of October because it's a perfect October Halloween movie that everybody should watch. So yeah, mm. that's what I'm up to. Um, and it'll probably be mostly that for the rest of the month as well as a few more New York Film Festival movies. So, all right, guys, any final thoughts? No. Oh, no, nope, we're good. All good right. Movie. Yeah, good movie. Um, Join us next week. We're going to be discussing the 1974 Roman Polanski movie, Chinatown. It is streaming on the Stars Network. Um, if you have the Stars <laughs> Network or um, like the Stars on Hulu or whatever one of those are, um, it's streaming there. Otherwise, it's available to rent or buy in all the usual places like iTunes and Amazon. Um, but until next week, you can follow us on Twitter and Letterboxd at Great Movies Pod. 
thanks as always to our friend Scott Brady for our podcast artwork. You can follow him at S Brady Artist on Twitter. And that is it for us this week. Mm-hmm. Roger out. Roger, Roger out. Guys. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people. Agreed. Would yeah, you be, I, guys be okay with this quick spoiler discussion that I can add after the credits for people that have seen it? Yeah, yeah, sure. So you, could, yeah, we can briefly talk about the ending, but you'll you'll put this, you'll warn people they can they can stick around after we wrap up if they want to hear it. Yeah. So uh, this is probably one of my favorite last fifteen minutes of a movie in quite a while. So I really wanted to get a bit of a discussion on this. Um, so. Nick, you've seen Camera Person, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Jana, have you seen Camera I Person? I have not, no. You it's know the general concept of this, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What did you say, Nick? I said it's way different than this. Like It is. It, how it's assembled and like what it's, maybe not what it's doing, but certainly like the product. This is, you know, has a lot of fictional or like metatextual mm-hmm. uh, elements to it. Whereas Camera Person is just like cutting your own floor footage slapped mm-hmm. together. In a, yeah, in a good, and, in an interesting way, but yeah, it's it's def. I mean, camera person is incredible, but I am gonna kind of crap a little on camera person to just explore why I love Dick Johnson so much. Um, camera person's almost like how meaningful life is in these small moments in like a grand scale, and this one is like a small scale, and it brings out like a, it's like two sides of a funnel almost, where camera person is a wide scale, and it kind of boils down to small moments. This one is like a small scale, but so much emotion that comes out of it. And I think I liked just sort of that setup more, um, especially because our small scale is Mr. Johnson, which is, he's the the greatest subject. Mm -hmm. Sadly, there won't be movies about him made unless like his daughter is a cinematographer director. But like, this is the kind of movie I want to see. And something that I knew about, camera person with Kristen Johnson is she's super patient and Mm -hmm. she's not going to release it until she feels like the story is done. So I went into this movie being like, she did not release this until her father was dead. Because that's the point of this movie. This is her throughout the years kind of leading up to when he's going to pass away. And about 15 minutes from the end of the movie, um, there is a really dramatic scene in a ambulance where, you know, his heart starts beating and um, they're trying to resuscitate him. Um, she has her camera on, but it's kind of on its side. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this, this is too much. And then it cuts to his funeral and he's in the same uh, grave they picked out. Not grave. Uh, casket Common. they picked out for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there's people starting to give a eulogy. And I was just like, this is this is a lot to take in, but like, I'm I'm glad I got to see the story leading up to this moment about this wonderful person. And then he's still alive. He gets to watch his own funeral like Tom Sawyer. I know. Yeah. I've never seen like a documentary pull a twist ending, mm-hmm. and I think we've already talked about how much I dislike twist endings in general. But like, they even like hinted it when like. 
they're picking out the coffin. They're setting up this church. Like, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so that that that's why I wasn't totally fooled. But like, I was fooled by it in like the ambulance where I thought, like, oh my god, yeah, we're watching yeah. him die. I cannot handle this. Like, because I didn't think. I thought he was still – or I went into it assuming he was still alive for whatever reason. Oh, I just did. Okay. Um, I, I, I hadn't read anything about it, but I just kind of I assumed. I don't think – I don't know if I would have assumed he had been dead if it wasn't for camera person sure. just kind of feeling how Christian – because there's footage in it from like a trial in the 1980s or something. Yeah. And it's like – like yeah. I, I do not think she's going to release this until yeah. she feels like the story's ended. And I feel like the story won't be able to end until – Yeah. But the so the, but the ambulance thing did totally get me, and I thought like oh like so I was very upset with that because I thought oh, like okay. oh my god like this is I I was yeah very very was stressed that? watching that sequence. But then when it cut to the funeral, I immediately recognized it as oh, from okay. the scene in the beginning. I, I when, mm-hmm. well when it shows him lying there in the coffin, I'm like that's the coffin he climbed into at the beginning of the movie. So that's when I started to catch on that maybe this mm. was Nick. Did you have this. the same reaction? I I wasn't convinced but i thought there was a possibility that it was still um like the the scene that they'd Mm -hmm. shot before uh one thing just going back to the ambulance scene do you guys like i'm pretty sure that that was also staged like it was it was yes one of like that's just one of the ways one one of the other scenes right yeah yeah they filmed many other scenes of him dying and this is just that was the realistic version as opposed to all the fantastical versions he falls down and (laughs) like flips over i I love the stuff with the stuntmen and like the crazy the stuntmen are trying to like learn how he walks that 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 might be my favorite part of the movie was was the different stuntmen trying to walk like he walked and i thought that was so good Um, but but the way that scene is shot is shot so well mm-hmm. that um, like the chaos of it mm-hmm. th- that uh, I, I thought at the time that it was real and then we showed the mm-hmm. funeral I was like well this I, like I know this is the mm-hmm. same building that they were in but maybe they and it's like across the country so maybe they yeah sent him back but maybe this is just still fictional but then once um, people started talking when the woman, Mm-hmm. is giving her speech about how um he had talked to her and she had uh, a conversation with him about her dead husband and then he asked her how her husband is she's talking about his dementia that's like years before um yeah it gets bad like that's not, that like, is catastrophically yeah. bad but pretty pretty bad like, that we see it at the end of the movie mm-hmm. where he's like you know confused and waking up in the middle of the night and things like that yeah um like when we see him at that point in the movie, he doesn't look like he's quite that bad yet. Right. So it's surpri- it's surprising, and it seems like that would have been years mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when his, I guess it's his best friend, um, mm-hmm. gives the speech oh. at the funeral, and he's yeah. losing it, I never in a million years would have thought that was staged. No. Like, that felt so real. Right. And, and one of the things Chris and he's not a, and he's, is like, Maybe he doesn't realize, like, like maybe, like, he yeah. has probable processing. It's just, like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because there's there's a shot of and him it's not, even he's after. Not, he, like, yeah, he, he's not he's not acting. Like, right. it is real on some level to him. Right. So. Yeah, because he's still sobbing even, like, after, sort after. Of the artifice yeah. has been revealed. And, like, the Johnson's walking around. And you just cut to him and he's still crying. And, oh, that, I know. I, I, that's tough. That's <laughs> tough to watch. <laughs> um, but... I think the beauty of the ending, which, uh, like, I, I my problem with twist endings is, like, you know, the twist is there for a twist purpose and not, like, its story purpose. But I think the whole purpose of this is, like, Dick Johnson, like, has to leave his home. 
Mm-hmm. And this is something that they talk about with the mom having to go to a nursing home. This is instead of going to a nursing home, he has to live in New York with uh, mm-hmm. Kristen. Mm-hmm. And um, as someone who had to move their grandma down from her home of 50 years mm-hmm. to my home, or not my home, but she's in my neighborhood and like we take care of her. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know how tough that can be to have to at least see someone leave. Yeah. And as that being what has to be let go from his side, Mm-hmm. of the story and not just like oh he's died that's that's sad but i thought that was super impactful and then it cuts to a scene of um her reciting like dick johnson is dead in different ways and like she's trying to figure out the right way to say it um mm-hmm. i again because i was so convinced she wouldn't release this until he was dead yeah. i was like oh now he must be dead and like this is her Try to, but no, that she like opens the closet door that she was re- sound recording yeah. and hugs him, and I was like, okay, so the end of her story is just accepting that her father right. will die, right? Yeah. But and for now, that. she can give him a hug, and I was, I, I was bawling, like, I, I was crying so much. I watched it at like six thirty in the morning, and I'm just like, <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I thought this movie was freaking perfect. Um, yeah, and then still the credits, it says. Dick Johnson, 1932. 1932. Dash. Yeah. And then nothing. I was like, oh my god, he's still alive. Yep. Dick Johnson is the movie hero of 2023. Yeah. Just was, gotta say. He was good. Him and the cow from First Cow. <laughs> Did you watch First Cow? No, but <laughs> I just like this whole the, the cow from First Cow is the best meme from our podcast. It's, it's, I'd like to keep it going. We do like Evie the Cow. I love Evie the Cow. Yeah. Evie the cow, that's right. I named my daughter after her. <laughs> so you traveled through time and named your daughter after the cow. Yeah. 